raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Me, personally, I mean, I feel like I'll flourish in any system, but... Um, I mean, we're not really supposed to talk schemes, so if I said something, like Shane might come up to me and be like, what you talking about in the media? So, so like, I feel good about any scheme. Do I expect it? I mean, like, I don't really expect nothing, really. I mean, I mean, if it happens, it happens. So, and if it doesn't happen, then yeah, like, I would play it out without an extension. Do you want to get an extension? Huh? I mean, like, I think, I mean, like, I think every player, like, wants to get paid. Um, like, I wouldn't mind one. I appreciate JT's here every day, and he's working, uh, He's working hard and getting treatment, and he's in the meetings, and he's locked in. So I appreciate that, but, I mean, you can't really stew on that. Like, to whatever running backs we have, we we got to make do with that. And, uh, you know, they're looking forward to the opportunity, and they're out here every day working really hard too. So, um, yeah, you can't really think about that. You just got to come to work and be like, hey, it doesn't really change. Like. The engine keeps going. Do your job. We got Steve. I mean, ju- just looking at him, I mean, he's yoked and he can run you over. He can outrun you. He can juke you. Um, he-, he brings a lot to the table. And, like, you know how sp- special JT is. So, yeah. A lot of different ways of approaching contract negotiations or doing your business emulated in those two quotes from Michael Pittman Jr. and Quentin Nelson. That's right. Two different statements made about two different situations, but three perspectives that are important there. So we begin a Friday on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd is back with us here in the DriveHuber.com studio. It's always great to have James here in studio. Eddie Garrison, of course, is with us as well. But there's three perspectives I'm talking about. Is Michael Pittman Jr.'s situation where he's in a premium position. He could put the feet up, have a nice cold beverage and just do his job and let everything play out. And he's going to get money of some kind, whether it's from the Colts or from somebody else a year from now. Quentin Nelson taking the perspective of, you know, we'll go with whoever we have in the running back room. But, you know, guys got to be out there and do their job. And Jonathan Taylor at this point, which my deadline is week one, but at this point holding out and trying to fight for what he feels. And I don't fault him for this. What he feels is a pay increase that he deserves. James, first question off the bat, how much do you miss your life being just as simple as, hey, where's the Anthony Richardson videos? Yeah, that was <laughs> unbelievable. We talked a lot about how the beat shifted from AR to JT, and we weren't even talking about Anthony Richardson. Like, if you would asked me a month ago, that when Jim Ursay spoke during training camp, which he does annually, that there will be no Anthony Richardson questions, I would not believe you. I would think that every question is about Anthony Richardson, but every single question was about Jonathan Taylor and what's going on with him and death. And, you know. <laughs> A lot of self-reflection uh, yeah, we just didn't yeah, anticipate you coming know, from the exactly. owner. Exactly. If I die tonight and JT's <laughs> out the league, no one's going to miss us. I was like, wow, it's really morbid. Deep. But, A lot of perspective there in that quote. I yeah. mean, that's kind of been this week in Colts land out there in Westfield where, you know, going into it, you knew that there was going to be some sort of uh, tension because of the lack of a contract extension. But it got really personal really fast. And now we're sort of at this impasse where you just don't know if and when JT will be available for the Colts. At this point, 
are you as a beat reporter now having Ready antenna? To well, <laughs> we'll get there. Yes. It's still yes. <laughs> we, there's still plenty of time for that. I wasn't going to make you make that rash of a decision just yet. No, I meant does your un, does your antenna now go up whenever you see pull in the bus and or luxurious <laughs> motor coach and or yacht bus as we've started calling it here and either way what have you labeled it as is it just a bus in your mind it is have just you? a bus okay i right. have okay argued with stephen holder about this from espn <laughs> with his big words luxurious motor coach and i was like you get those bougie words out of here that is a bus that's what we talked about on the sideline but in all seriousness watching a bus during training camp with a number four pick your future what you hope to be your franchise quarterback is out there and we're watching a bus with your disgruntled running back on it and the owner who refuses to pay him or at least pay him right now. So um, it's been crazy. And I will say that with the lack of sleep I've gotten, I've gotten a lot more well-versed about the CBA, what it entails, and why Jonathan Taylor really has no way out. I know we heard the perspectives from Michael Pittman Jr., from Quentin Nelson, and others, but... You know, obviously Q has got his money. He got paid last season. I believe he got $60 million guaranteed. I believe it's the most ever for a guard in NFL history, or if not, it's close to it. And then you have, obviously, Pittman, who's like, hey, you know, don't care if I get paid here or elsewhere because I'm wide receiver and I'm going to get $20 million annually regardless. Even if they do tag him next year, he'll be, I believe, projected at like $23 million. So he's going to get paid. It's a matter of if, not when. And then you also have both players and – A lot of these teammates as well, talking about how great JT is, how special he is, how much he means to the team, you know, how you can't really replace those things. I know Ryan Kelly said, you know, when you don't have a guy like that in your backfield, you feel it. However, none of those guys can go out and pay JT but the owner. And the owner has said, we're not paying you right now, and we're not trading you either. So I read through the CBA, Jimmy, and... It basically said the NFL is the mafia and you're never getting out once you ink that deal. Yeah, there's no escape hatch. There's no last card you can play that does not impact you in a financial aspect or impact your your team in a regrettable aspect if he was to hold out to the point of week one. We've had a number of different perspectives on this. James Boyd, of course, be with us throughout the day today here on the Fan Midday Show. Always great to have him back in here. But we talked to George Bremer a little bit yesterday about this. I want to get your thoughts on it as well. For you, as you observe camp, as you have participation in the media scrums, you talk with guys one-on-one, if this goes beyond week one, how quickly does that locker room change in your mind? Because my argument right now is, as a player, if I am a teammate of Jonathan Taylor's, it's my brother-in-arms, and he's fighting for what's his, and I get that. But if this extends into the season where he is still under contract. He's not fighting a tag. He still has one more year on a deal. And they start getting their teeth kicked in or they start struggling to a point that it's like, man, you know, it could help a otherworldly running back that we still have under contract. That, that would be nice. And then it starts becoming less friendly and more no comment or frustration starts to build. Do you see it that way if it extends into the regular season? I don't think like he so. holds out, I mean, to be clear. Like, yeah, and I don't think so because he hasn't participated in a team activity since the ankle surgery back yeah. in January. So, But he's still there. Right? right, and I get that. He's there. He's in the meetings. He's helping out. So I think that does According matter. to what his teammates are saying. But I think a lot of these guys will take it with the approach of this is his personal business, and at the end of the day, 
if I were in his shoes, I would kind of see where he's coming from. I'm not saying they would do the same things because we could talk about the missteps on both sides, but obviously the one who's at the mercy of the CBA and franchise tags and not getting paid is JT. But I don't think that we would see some outward shift because they're not going to be good this season or they're not projected to be good this season anyway. And I think it will probably just prove JT's point more. Like, if you want me, if you want me to help this team and you're getting your teeth kicked in, then you should have paid me and, and made sure that I had some job security. Now, again, I've been saying this, and it's really swung <laughs> in the last week and a half or so because we, you were on this train early. I give you credit for that. You were like, man, I, I probably wouldn't pay the guy, you know, because we got the tag out there. That's our option. And that seems like what's coming down the pipeline. But at the same time, I think the Zach Moss injury kind of reinforces in JT's mind why he doesn't want to play right now or play without getting an extension, whether it's here or somewhere else. And then I also don't know how broken or messed up the relationship is between him and ownership to the point where would he really just be so mad and so upset that he would play this season, just not here. Like, I don't care if I get an extension somewhere else. I don't care if they give me a long-term deal. This guy, I feel like, or this team, disrespected me, so I'm just going to, like, you know, say the hell with this and be gone. Like, And again, is that an option? I don't know because the CBA is basically a blood oath as far as what I gleaned. <laughs> like, you can check that out on The Athletic. I promise it's, it's pretty laid out. I went through all of, I feel like, the avenues in which he could possibly – Gosh, get away from this team. Your Game but, of Thrones time must have been cut in half, if not entirely oh man, off the table, was, if you're studying was, the CBA. It was it was rough. It was rough. <laughs> when Jim Ursay fired that tweet off about, you know, running backs in the market and bad faith, and then JT's agent clapped back and was like, you know, not paying your playing paying your player is bad faith and all of that. I was thinking, okay, Cersei, the Lannisters, no more tonight, James. You better open your laptop again and get back to the writing world of the Colts. You know, uh, so it was it was rough from my perspective, but again, I just don't know how you gauge disrespect and feeling disrespected. And I'm not saying that either side is right or wrong because JT has a right to feel like he should get paid and the Colts have a right to say, hey, we're not going to pay you. But also when you get emotions involved, yeah. your logic isn't always the best. So I'm like, the logical thing is for JT to show up week one and play unless he wants to hand over a large sum of money every single week and also be subject to fines and all that other stuff, assuming he's healthy enough to play. So he's on the pup list right now. As you all know, Shane Steichen was asked, what is his specific injury? Well, he's just going through something right now. I'm not going to get into that. What does that mean? I don't know. So it is what it is at this point. The reason I wonder if anything will bubble up with the team is – this is from two different accounts. One was an actual conversation we had. One was the clip that we played there. If I was to stereotype an offensive lineman, the thought would be they are just grunt brutes that <laughs> go out there, do their job, put the team in front of them. They know it's a thankless position, but they understand that when they have a contract agreed to, they need to go out there and do their job. Yes. We had Jeff Schwartz on, former offensive lineman earlier this week, now with Fox Sports. And he basically said as much as that if he's in that locker room and it bubbles over to the regular season, like at some point it's like, well, you're not in the same boat as Barkley. I get what you're trying to do, but you're under contract. Like we, we need you. Better. I, I don't mean That's Ursa. Part, yeah. I don't mean Ballard. I mean Q. I mean Kelly. I mean guys within the offense that are like 
man, we need you out here. That's where I'm talking about would things bubble over because even though Quentin Nelson's comments entirely were either neutral or complimentary of Jonathan Taylor, you can tell just from some of the comments we played to open the show, like there is some element of when we get time to playing time, you need to do your yeah, job if you're under contract. It's spoken like a guy who who's been is taken very care of. <laughs> workmanlike. And also, yes, been yeah, taken care yeah. of. Like he got his money. <laughs> yeah. Ryan Kelly got his money. Braden Smith got his money. So Michael Pepper Jr. about to get his oh, money. Oh, yeah, he's all smiles. <laughs> and he's played it. And we could talk about this too. MPJ has played this, I believe, smarter than JT has, even though he's at a position where he didn't really have to do that. Like he's going to get paid either way. Yeah as a top 30, top 25 receiver in the NFL. But the thing that MPJ has done, which was smart, I think, from the beginning, because we asked both these guys around the same time in April Mm -hmm. about a potential contract extension, MPJ was kind of like, well, you know, I got to go out there and prove it. You know, if I get one, it's all good. If I don't, if it never happens, not a big deal. And he said that back in April, said that again at the start of training camp, said that again yesterday when we asked him about his contract and he, you know, would he like an extension? Yes, I would like one. I'd like to get paid? Yes, I would. But he's also been kind of hedging his statements by saying, yeah, yeah, I'm auditioning for the Colts and every other team in the NFL. It's, you know, it takes a lot of talent to be here, a lot of hard work, and you got to prove yourself every day. And he's basically saying, come get me if they don't want to pay me. Where with JT, the trade-off is like it doesn't matter which team, you know, wants you. None of them most likely are going to pay you a boatload of money. And I think the biggest reason why we're even in this boat as I'm sure you all have hashed out since this news broke about the trade request, is like he hasn't even gotten an offer. That's the biggest thing. We talk about agents and did he change his stance and all that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, he did not get an offer. So that's the part that probably made him so mad because it's like I'm less than two years removed from an all-pro season last year. Even in a down year, I still was pretty good in the games I played. And I haven't even got low-balled. You just took the ball and went home. Yeah, deflated my ball and, and and took all the air out of it. So I mean, it, it's a hard right, situation Brady. to be in. I mean, oh, <laughs> oh goodness gracious! Don't bring that up in Indianapolis. It's yeah, gonna get me uh, stoned. It's but, almost the weekend. We don't need that. Right yeah, now. but I mean, I just feel like MPJ has had a better approach from the start, and then we've seen too much of the extremes. Like at first, when we asked JT about this in April, and he was saying, "Oh, I signed the deal." I signed the contract. I was like, man, this is very Boy Scout, like cookie cutter. Why would you say this? Like, do you not know how business works and that you're coming off an injury? But it did. In fairness to him, it seemed like it was a formality back then. And I think it would be smart to say that publicly from an optic standpoint. You can say different stuff behind closed doors, but that's what Pittman Jr. is doing right now, isn't no, he? No, 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 no. He did not say, like, I made an obligation to the team. They that, made one so to you're me. you're saying that extra step. Yeah, that extra, like, okay, that was I what that. I was like, this is yeah. your landing on thick here. Yeah. He's basically said, "Sure, I got to prove myself. And, you know, and it's a Taylor privilege went a to step be. Further. Yeah, 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 and I was yeah, just like, he yeah. basically said he's yeah. good with. You know, whatever. And then he went the complete opposite end of the spectrum where now we haven't talked to the guy personally, but you can tell after negotiations or the lack thereof shifted him and made him kind of go this scorched earth route, it seems like. So um, we'll see. But I think the biggest thing with JT is we've heard from everyone around him, but aside from a few tweets, we haven't heard from him. And whenever we do, besides the contract, I think the biggest thing we'll ask him is what is your injury? How is your back? 
How is your ankle? Seriously. No, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at something oh, else. Like, it's the stuff that <laughs> no, we don't right. know. you're right. It is. Don't, don't laugh at me. I'm, uh, I'm never, insecure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, I'm laughing because something else we're going to talk about at some point today, probably around 1.30, because I want to get James' thoughts on this as well, because it impacts a conference that he and I are both alums of. But those oh, negotiations <laughs> between Washington and Oregon maybe jumping to the Big Ten and Arizona maybe going to the... Big 12 continue to go on, but I don't want to derail that right now. Just for the audience, it, if you're on Twitter, this could be a big day in college athletics, depending on how things go. You've seen Survivor before, right? Yes, I have. I understand that there's not necessarily a million dollar prize at the end of this for anybody, but if you're looking at like when you get to the final two and you know that you have to play the game to a point where you got to be sneaky and sly, but not so that people will be bitter when they're voting for who they think played the best game. Michael Pittman Jr. is the winner of Survivor. Like, Bingo. if you're comparing him and Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman Jr. is the one that's on the <laughs> margins, that is playing the game you know just what? well enough to end up with the prize. It's hilarious to see certain fans are like, well, just pay MPJ. His mentality is much better. And it's like, because he's going to get paid whether he's a brat or not or whether he's upset or not. He does not – it does not affect him nearly as much as it affects JT. The projected tag next season is $13 million for a running back and 23 for a wide receiver and for everyone out there thinking MPJ is going to take some hometown discount no I think his negotiations and if he's even having any right now would be 20 million minimum because if you look at next year's free agent class with the wide receivers that are in it he's going to be a top five receiver in that class and the market for that reason will help him and that's a key distinguisher that James Robinson is there because I saw you tweet it too and I had to read it twice just to make sure I was following it it's next year's class. James is not saying that Michael Pittman Jr. becomes a top five no, wide receiver right. in the league next year. He's saying with what is available in next year's free agent class, if I'm correct on this, exactly. that he would be a top five wide receiver in that class. And that drives his price yes. up because you're willing to – basically, like, with, the, with the Jaguars, maybe you pay a little bit more for Christian Kirk, but it pays off because you're like, man, our return on investment was great. You know, We got a 1,000-yard receiver, and they don't grow on trees. I know people act like 1,000-yard seasons are just like, oh, well, you know, unless you're you know, Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase or Stephon Diggs, you do it every single season, and you catch all these passes, and you catch touchdown passes, and you're you know first-team all-pro, then you're not a wide receiver one. But borderline wide receiver one, wide receiver two, doesn't matter. He's going to get paid regardless. So obviously we'll keep monitoring this, but at the end of the day, there's no real updates on JT other than the fans chanting at him every single day. We love you, JT, or hey, you know, don't leave us, or JT, JT. He just wears that same black hoodie with the hood pulled up and the white T-shirt on, and I wonder to myself, has it been washed this week? But I don't know. We'll see what happens. Man. So at this point. <laughs> it's weird, man. It's been a weird few days in Grand Park. <laughs> I'm serious, because I mean, every single day I'm like... I think that's just called Colts Camp, honestly. Seriously, it's a routine for me, though. I'm like, okay, obligatory Anthony Richardson video is like just a troll post, joking around. But then I also get a video of JT, because everyone asks for it anyways, and I'm like, here you go. No commentary, really, just Colts running back JT, and people will make whatever decisions they want. The funniest one, though, is like, he's a bad teammate. You're not his teammate. You don't even know (laughs) him. (laughs) Now, the optics of it, I I will admit, don't look great. From I the outside argue, looking in. I, and I, this is another question I want to ask so, you. I would argue it matters that he's there. Like, there's so often with these things when they break down, the guy's not in the building. I get it. Maybe, because I mean, you're right. I'm not a teammate. You're not a teammate. You're there more often than I am, so you can speak to it a little bit better. But the fact that he is there 
matters more on a lot of levels for me than if he was sitting at home and griping on Twitter, sending stuff into the ether. You want to know why he's there and Josh? Well, Jacobs I understand. Is not there? Yeah, I yeah. Go ahead. Tell for the people who might not know. Seriously, there's yeah. people who are like, "Well, Josh Jacobs is isn't there? Like, so JT's not doing a real hold in, hold out. Like, why is he there? Because he's under contract. Yep. And if he isn't there, according to the CBA, he would be he could be fined forty thousand dollars a day yep. for each workout or practice or session that he misses. So Jonathan Taylor, pup list, no pup list. He will be there. I know he does have to be there. Yes. I understand that. But to your point, though, I do wonder if they could be like, hey, you know, you reported for your treatment in the morning. We'll just send you home, you know, sure. in the afternoon to get away from this. But that obviously hasn't been the case. I or think that's or we'll move you inside or or stay in exactly. the gym with workouts. Don't be out here. Like, exactly. The, the fact that he is out there, again, I, I probably am giving a little bit too much credit with that. But Money if, makes you do crazy things. If he's going to sit out, the regulars and I, I understand the pup complicates things, right? Because if he's legitimately injured to the point that he has to miss time this year, then that changes the conversation. It's no longer he's not playing because he's trying to make a statement. It's okay, maybe he's actually hurt. If we get to that point, right. I'm not saying we're there now, <laughs> right? Right. But that's why it's a, a tread lightly conversation, just a little bit for me, because that changes if it's he's not physically able to go for week one versus this is clear he's holding out or not playing. Like if he was a healthy scratch on the sideline or something like that. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I do think that the pub list also is sort of this peripheral thing right now because everyone's focused on the contract yeah. and the hold-in slash holdout. But as you said, what if he's legitimately hurt? And if he is... It's not the back, though. He told us it's not the back. I don't know what to believe, honestly. But It's not the back. It's not the back, James. And, and we do know... Just the tweet was clear. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole non-football injury, that was... To me, kind of like a veiled threat, like, yeah. you know, if we have to go this route, we will not pay you. And his contract will freeze, and he will still owe them a year you know, of services if he doesn't play this year because of NFI injury or whatever. Do you understand how much that would really complicate things if it happened? Because if he owes them an extra year, we're going into year, his 25-year-old season at that point, and he still has not been tagged yet. Like, the right. ramifications of that actually happening, which I'm with you, I think it was more just... I think it was or justified. Else. It was like a checkmate, like, basically. I, I think I think the Colts would have had grounds to do it, like based on their reporting, based on Chaps and Holder's reporting. Like like you, I I take them at their word. I take them at their sources' word. They're not going to just put something out there oh, yeah, to put right. it out there. Right, and we right. talked to Chap about that earlier this week. But the ramifications if that actually happened cause more drama, I think, than either party would want to deal with. Absolutely, that would truly take this up to the nth degree, and yeah. I think that that would. Oh, Lord, I think I've seen it all so far, but I have not seen that. That would be something where I think we would see a lot more like legality kind of become at the forefront from both sides. NFLPA, I would assume, would step in. Now, we're not there yet, but to me, it comes down to JT has to talk at some point. And also, what is your injury? Because from what Jim Irsay told us, he had the same ankle surgery as EJ Speed, and EJ Speed is back you know, already, and he's performing, and he's been pretty much a full participant every single day except for yesterday when he was out with a minor ankle injury to the other ankle, not the one he got the surgery done on. So, um, again, this was projected to be, I believe, like a month type of recovery, and it's been six months, going on seven months. So you just wonder if the injury is legitimate, okay, we're not going to pay you because you're still hurt. If it isn't, 
we don't have to pay you because we don't have to. I mean, that's that's just what it is. And so people have asked me, I've been on a couple different shows just talking about the JT situation, even our own podcast at The Athletic. And I think he has to somehow find why he loves football in the first place and kind of get back to that because there is no way out. There is no way where you can, you know, be upset and kind of force your way out and into a bigger deal. Your position doesn't allow you to do that because as we've seen, you you can be an outspoken wide receiver. You can be the diva wide receiver, whatever the case may be, and still get your money, if not with your current team, with another team. That's just, I mean, we were talking about this the other day in the media room. If JT was a top five receiver and he was like upset as he is now, there will be no hesitation really yeah. to either pay him or trade him. That's it. That's what yeah. they do. I mean, A.J. Brown wanted out. He's gone. And it happens with Stephon Diggs. Wanted out of Minnesota. Got out. So that's not how it works with running backs. And to me, Jim Irsay's comments about, like, you know, not really going past this season is like, hey, we got you for this season. And more or less, if we want you for longer, we got you for that too. So the tag is like – Oof, the tag is like, like I said, it's the mafia. The NFL is the mafia. Once you're in, you're never getting out. And we were even talking about like, if you were to retire early from NFL contract, you would have to pay that money back. I mean, yeah. that was what Andrew Luck would have had to do if Jim Irsay wanted to do it. Now, the optics of it would have been terrible. But it's not like he could even retire. I'm not saying he would, but I'm just saying like, there's just no out. Yeah. I mean, he's got, at the end of the day, he's got to play. Like, unless he's really injured. Barring a trade, bar, which they've said they're not going to do, and we highlighted it earlier, and we'll get into it a little bit later in the program. Kevin Bowen's going to join us top of the two o'clock hour. Nick Baumgartner, who covers the NFL at large for the Athletics, going to join us next segment, and then we're going to shift gears, go Pacers and big picture NBA. This one James has been working on for a long time. Happy to have Brian Windhorst of ESPN is going to stop by top of the one o'clock hour. But yeah, he really doesn't have a pathway, and even if he did by a trade. Like if his agent was able to turn up interest, then his only other option would be if a team's willing to give something up for him and the price point is not going to be something Colts fans would like to stomach and it's not going to be something that the Colts would want to stomach because if you're thinking about a first rounder, that's not happening. We're going to take our first break here on the Fan Midday Show. We come back. Nick Baumgartner will give us the national perspective on all things Jonathan Taylor, Colts camp. The wide receiver market versus the running back market and more. Nick Bumgarner of the, of the Athletic with us next on The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Still here in the DriveHeblue.com studio, I'm James Boyd alongside Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. Had a lot of chatter about Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman Jr., Anthony Richardson, contracts, holding, holdouts, one guy who I'm sure who's been watching from afar, Nick Bumgarner of The Athletic. Nick, what was your reaction to everything? Before I get into that, how are you doing? <laughs> no, James, how are you? How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. You know, I don't want to be rude, but I do want to ask from just a outsider's perspective, maybe, yeah. what was your reaction to the luxurious motor coach bus 
the yacht bus. Yacht bus, thank you. Yeah, the uh, yeah, no contract extension. The if I die tonight quote, and then ultimately the trade request that went public last weekend. Yeah, well, my first reaction when um, Thursday tweeted, I was like, "What is he doing?" And then it made more sense as time has gone on, and obviously everyone's reported, including you guys, like that. Uh, you know, this has probably been a thing that they weren't that they didn't really want to extend him or whatever. Maybe he knew about. I don't know. But originally, I was like, "Why is he doing this? Like, why is he tweeting?" And then you're like, "Oh, they just don't want to pay him, and he's just handling it in like the worst manner possible." And also, like I've read, you know, I read Zach Keeper's story the other day, and a lot of the stuff James that you guys have all written. But like, seems like Jonathan's not all the way maybe innocent in some of this either. It's not a good look for anybody at all. But it also kind of like it bummed me out really because I think I loved the Colts draft. I thought they did a terrific job this off season in the draft specifically. And I kind of thought, okay, well, maybe they're at least, you know, headed toward something better. And they still could be, but, like, this is another one of those that felt more like last year when you watched them from the outside, which is not not great. So along those lines, one thing that's kind of been lost, I think, in the discussion of JT beyond just his contract, is he really hurt, is he not, is it a holding, is it a holdout, whatever the case may be, is how much he would mean to the development of Anthony Richardson. And so what do you think having him in the backfield could do for – a rookie quarterback who obviously has immense upside, but also is extremely raw. Yeah, it means a ton. I mean, to have a guy like that, especially the way he plays, you know, and the way that they want to play, and I think that they will play, they'll be a between-the-tackle run game as much as they're going to try to spread the ball out, too, with him eventually. But to have a reliable back who is going to get what's blocked plus extra pretty much every time he touches it, if you can get the offensive line right, which I still like some of the pieces they have up there, uh, including young Bernard Raymond. I think he could be something uh, if they give him more time. But I, I, I like a lot of their young players, but you need, like your, your point, you need somebody to sort of like help you come along because, you know, I mean, we can go through the numbers on play action and, and yeah, your run game statistically, it doesn't quite change how much it affects the defense. But at the same time, when you have a guy like that in there, the idea uh, is always in the back of the mind uh, of the other side. So, yeah, not having him is a huge problem. And then, of course, when Moss gets hurt, you know, that's that makes it even worse. So it went from a really good-looking situation to, okay, well, that's not as good. I guess it's going to be more road bumps and maybe some that you could have avoided. Nick, I know that there is mileage on Jonathan Taylor's legs from how he was worked in Wisconsin, and I yeah. know that he had uh, injury-riddled and you know just different complications in 2022. But when healthy, he has shown that he's the best back in football and he's only 24 years old. All that considered, you would think that even as bad as the running back market is, the ideal situation for a running back of his caliber that wants to get paid would be having a quarterback on a rookie contract where you can afford to splurge. That's a long way of me asking you if the fact that even with all those circumstances of the contract situation with Anthony Richardson – that Jonathan Taylor can't get a payday, this has to be rock bottom for the running back compensation conversation, does it not? Yeah, because especially in this situation, too, where he's the best, play- he's your best player. And, like, he's your best. Why did you build your team around him if you're not? You know, why are you playing like this? Why did you play football the way that you did? You know what I mean? Like, why? <laughs> yeah. Why did you play football the way that you did? <laughs> this is quite a quite a <laughs> sentence. Why was that your brand? And why did you build around this type of run game and all this? And like, if you're just not going to pay this guy, like that, it's the same conversation that I end up having about Saquon, where it's like, 
you made him your team, though. Like, I get it. Like, people don't, you know, the shelf life and everything else, it is what it is. But you made him your team. Like, you've, you've built and made decisions uh, that with him in mind. And now you're not going to extend him because you think you'll look dumb or something? Like, I mean, is that why? I, I don't know. That, to <laughs> me, is really not great. And I, a lot of times, because there's so much about what Chris Ballard has done over the years with player acquisitions and draft. I mean, he's been awesome in so many ways, but he has to work with Jim Irsay. And I, you know, there's days that I feel bad for Chris Ballard because this is not, they don't make it easy. I'll say that because it could and should be a lot easier than what's going on right now. Yeah. I don't envy having his job at all. I don't envy anyone involved with the Colts right now, because obviously everything is about JT. I mean, they had a video, Nick, that they put out because it was Kids Camp Day, I believe this past Monday, oh, yeah. and they asked all the kids who their favorite player was. And of course, in this minute-long video, none of it included Jonathan Taylor. It was like, Moss. Oh, okay. I mean, I was there. We had a kid say DeForest Buckner in this video, yeah. and I'm like, you. I know there were tons of kids that might have said JT. I've been there every day yeah, at camp. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, the optics from everyone, it's been bad. I was thinking to myself, why would no one say, maybe we don't put this video out Today, because right. it just didn't look good from a team perspective, even on social media. But a lot of Sam Ellinger holdouts, no, no, oh okay. right. and I digress. But <laughs> from a purely football standpoint, um, yeah. we've got a good look at Anthony Richardson so far throughout camp. Is it more of what I would expect? It's kind of been a carryover from what we saw in college, where I mm-hmm. joke with guys, he'll have the best throw, Nick, and then he'll have you know an up and yeah, down day. But what do you think has been, you know? just some of the things you saw at Florida where you're like, okay, he has to make sure that he gets better here. And maybe what's the first thing he has to do to like sort of build that process out? Well, I think that he's, he's there and he's not, like you said, there, there are days that it looks good. And the fact that those are there to me, if you look back to where he was at the beginning of last season, you were not going to find a, that would not have happened. If you just said, okay, Anthony, you're a draft pick last year. It, he was, it, every day would have been a disaster. So, he has grown, I think, in the last year exponentially to a point where he can now go in there, run an NFL offense, reasonably take starters reps, and there are days where it looks pretty good. There are days where you can see it. And then there are days where, yeah, he'll take steps back and it won't look incredible or whatever, but um, it's there. And I think that the game, you could see it last season in Florida. The game slowed down for him as the year went on. They were not a great team. Uh, they did not have a lot around him. Um and their offense was kind of wonky, and I don't think that it did him any any favors to keep it that way. I think that they could have probably expanded and grown out more. I think he was more ready for that, and it didn't really show up on the tape if you were just sort of skimming it. But if you really watched through it, he grew a lot. And I think that it's been encouraging to see some of the good stuff that I've seen come out because, you know, you never know with a rookie. Sometimes they come in there and it's like, oh, my God, he can't complete a pass. You know, it's a this is a disaster. So. It's been encouraging to at least see he's getting through some days, and I'm very curious to see how he does in a preseason game or in a setting like that. Nick, the other Colts player that is is playing it cool because he can afford to is Michael Pittman Jr. is also on a contract Mm. year. From your perspective, we discussed this when the show started, he's able to be calm, cool, and collected for a number of different reasons, but in part because of the position that he plays, even if the Colts couldn't become up to par with a contract negotiation for him, even if they didn't tag him, he would command money instantly on the open market. Yeah, I think he would. But I also think that, you know, if you're, uh, the, the receiver market is super interesting. And it's, it's low-key, in my opinion, turning into the running back market. And I think that they're, it's not all the way. Because some guys, and maybe Pittman's one of them, 
can go out there and get the big whopper deal. But I don't think that number is as high as it used to be. And when you look at the Colts roster, they drafted Alec Pierce, who I think a lot of people like. I think he could be a pretty good football player when the time comes. I love Josh Downs. I think, obviously, you wouldn't want to lose a guy like Michael Pittman. But if you're looking at the rest of everything that you have to pay in time, uh, you know, I mean, is he really worth it? Do you want to max out at receiver? Like, that, to me, those contracts are becoming more and more difficult almost every year because everybody wants the top of the market. Like, every guy that want, that goes to test the market wants the top of the market. Like, there's no, there's no one who settles for anything less. <laughs> and there's always, like, an impasse, and it's like – we've seen these deals just not work out. And it's like, it'd be better if you didn't spend that money and just invested it somewhere else on your roster and sort of rebuilt your receiver room, you know, maybe around your quarterback instead of the other way around. So it's interesting. And I don't know what you would do if you're the Colts in that spot. A lot of it would depend on this year. So yeah, he played it cool now, like you said, but like, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll see in a few months if he's still playing it cool, I guess. Is that a luxury the Colts can afford to play right now with still uncertainty surrounding if yeah. Anthony Richardson is going to be the guy. The reason I ask that is because the formula you're discussing, I get it, it's a unique situation because they have the best right. quarterback in the game, but the Chiefs just showed that forward thinking last year of we're going to move on from Tyreek Hill instead of pay him and we're going to rebuild organically either through free agency for less right. money or bring in young talent in the draft. I think that's what, if you look across the board at what all the younger or I should say all the teams that are rebuilding or retooling or remodeling or whatever do, uh, none of them pay receivers. They just don't do it. I mean, I, unless that they're going to stay remodeling all the time because like they <laughs> are trying to, if they have one that's up for a contract, they'll try to trade them and they'll just try to get younger because like the receivers that are coming out of college today, and we're going to start seeing it with quarterbacks, the confidence level with receivers today when they come in as freshmen is 10 times higher than what it was 10 years ago. Even five years ago, the specialization of the position has changed that. These guys come out of college ready to go. And I think that has changed a lot of people's thinking in the receiver market. We haven't seen it as big of an impact as it's had in the running back situation, but I think it's tricky for a guy like Pittman. And, you know, he's a good player, but, like, that's the question that you're going to have to ask if you're Indy every time. So here's one I want to ask when it comes to JT and his market value. And we talk about – him being arguably the best running back in football and the last year that he was fully healthy, I think that was an easy decision. I believe he was voted like number five with the NFL top 100 rankings right. by his peers and stuff like that. However, best player and most valuable when it comes to the position might be exactly. in the eye of the beholder because you've watched probably a lot more tape than me on a lot of these guys. Why is it that maybe a guy like a Christian McCaffrey, like a Alvin Kamara, would be more valuable Considering, I mean, I know on the surface that they're like three down backs, but like for people who might not know right. what exactly that means, what does that mean and why is it that even with JT, he's not, I guess, as complete as those guys? Right. He's not He's not the receiver in the way that we see backs come out now as, as it used to be. Could you just catch the ball out of the backfield? You know, could you just run a little banana route and catch the ball and not drop it? That was like pretty much all they asked backs to do up until like maybe even five, ten years ago. But now, like you saw this year, especially with B. John Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, uh, and there's a lot of them in college right now, those guys run routes like receivers. Mm-hmm. McCaffrey is the great example. And Saquon, the reason I think he can do it too that no one's ever really asked him to, but the reason why he's not getting, I don't think, as much, you know, he's having a similar problem as, as JT, is that we just haven't seen him be that, like, whoa piece where it's like, McCaffrey, you split him out in the slot and let him run against the corner and he's going to win. Sometimes, not every time, but he'll win more than he loses. And some of these backs that we see now, like the Lions here in Detroit, they 
I think they're going to use Gibbs as much as an actual receiver as they do in the backfield. Like the, the Debo thing, you know, they're not all built like Debo, but like the ability to be versatile enough to take a handoff and navigate the box, but also go out there and run a route. That is a thing that younger athletes are showing. And I think that I saw that, uh, I think it was Travis Etienne said this. Somebody asked him, what would your advice be to younger backs? He said, <laughs> diversify, diversify your portfolio, learn how to catch, learn how to do everything. Because, you know, like you, JT, Jonathan Taylor is the best gap runner in the league. He's the best downhill, you know, between the tackles. You know, if you want to wear somebody out, there's nobody better. Josh Jacobs might be the only guy that would have that argument. But the reason why those two guys are in the spot they're in is because we also see other guys, you know, I guess Derek Henry's probably going to get mad if he hears that, but we also see other guys that can do way more. And and that's really the, the, the rub here for a lot of these guys that are in the league now. And I wonder how much that will change, though, going forward, you know, with some of these young kids coming up. Yeah, I'll let Jimmy jump in here. But to your point, Evan Hull and Deion Jackson, the running backs who are up now getting the first yeah. string reps since Zach Moss broke his arm, they were saying that that's what they've done. I mean, 100%. Deion Jackson was saying he didn't really switch over to running back till I want to say he said his senior year of high school. He was wide receiver before then. And obviously, the height kind of became a factor. But he was like, yeah, I've been running routes basically all my life. Evan Hull, he was like, yeah, I knew – coming out of high school I couldn't catch the ball and that was like a big point of emphasis in mm-hmm. my college development at Northwestern and the first thing Chris Ballard said after he was drafted was he caught 90 balls in Northwestern so like that's a factor that I think is something yep. that it's not going to go in reverse anymore now it's becoming can you be a serviceable running back who can kind of masquerade as a wide receiver and like you said win consistency on the outside so um I'm curious to see mm-hmm. how the evolution goes at running back. But I will say this, Nick. I have been very, very uh, harsh about this in the media room. I'll say it on air. People out there saying, oh, my kid will never play running back. Don't worry. Your kid is not going to the NFL anyways. It's yeah, fine. Right. <laughs> like, that's this is about a right. small, about small, it. small percentage <laughs> of people. So when I hear that, I'm just yeah. like, do you all realize how hard it is to make it to yeah, the NFL? Like, it. Yeah. So, oh, goodness. Don't, don't get me started. Yeah. Nick, what happens to veteran running backs at the top of the market, in theory, whatever the market is now, that yeah. are out there waiting for an opportunity? Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, are, are they just waiting for a training camp injury? Is the gap so big that like maybe they think they're worth more than the market says they are? What, what happens with those guys? I think that some of those guys are, are either waiting for a training camp injury and or just waiting for camp to end. Like they're pro- A lot of those guys, frankly... They're not going to put anything on their yeah. body if they don't have to. So, like, yeah, a lot of those guys are probably just waiting for, you know, hey, call me when you get down to, like, the last week of camp and you got to make the 53 and then I'll come in and then we'll talk. You know, but I'm not doing it until that. And that's the smart. And I think that that's what running backs, you know, hopefully this conversation, if nothing else, has alerted a lot of these backs who maybe weren't paying attention. I don't know how you wouldn't be, but if you weren't or your agent isn't on top of it, like, you need to get – Right away, you need to be you know assertive with with your position on the team and making sure that everything is is where it needs to be. Otherwise, yeah, I mean you're not going to waste reps on yourself if you don't need to. Like that's not you protect yourself, take care of yourself. And I think that that's uh, probably something you're seeing more with those veterans. And I think that's maybe that'll be a benefit in the end, even if you're not getting the pay. But you know you take the miles off your body and you can just maybe call a spade a spade with some of that. So I will be remiss if I didn't ask about Marvin Harrison Jr. 
Because hmm. here in Indianapolis, they're convinced that you know there's some pathway to get him <laughs> after the coming season. It would have to be a bad one, I would say that. But seeing him it would on have tape, to be a bad one. <laughs> yes, oh, it would have to be awful because the guy's amazing. But yeah. seeing him on tape, studying him, seeing his development over the years, what makes him so special to the point where he's arguably the best player overall in a draft that also right. includes will include Caleb Williams. Right, and he he would have been, I think. Uh, receiver number one last year too, uh, and and the and the reason for that is that when we talk about receivers and you like you talk about there's no real ideal size I suppose anymore. There's like I suppose there is you know you, the bigger they are the better and the longer the longer the better all that. But like there's not anything when you look at Marvin Harrison's full profile, the agility burst speed you know off the ball like his ball tracking how fast he gets his head turned understanding of what's happening hand reliability like there's nothing that he does wrong like there's he has no holes there's no holes in his game at all they're just a, they don't exist when you look at guys in the last few years right like uh garrett wilson or devonta smith or some of the guys that came out that were great even uh jefferson you know uh there were things there were metrics you know with them athletically that were a little bit flawed or maybe their height wasn't quite what it needs to be, or maybe their tier wasn't exactly what you'd want it to be, but they were still just amazing and everything else. You know, Devonta's so skinny, right? There was always a little bit of something like there is nothing like that with Marvin Harrison. It's everything is exactly what it needs to be. And it looks, he looked like an NFL football player the day he walked in the door at Ohio state. Like that's just not a thing that happens uh, that we see. We see confident receivers, but not guys that have polish. And that's, that's who he's been for, Two years, and I guess it's hard to remember that he's only a sophomore, or only a, only played two years, I guess, at this point. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I mean, the guy burst on the scene last year and was terrorizing the college football yep. world and obviously tantalizing the Colts fans here in Indianapolis. So, <laughs> um, Nick, I'll let you go, but appreciate you coming on, man, and discussing all things Colts. Hopefully, you know, there won't be any more funny tweets for me to read from yeah. <laughs> the owner, or the agent, or anyone involved, because if there is – I'll be working extra, so... Uh, <laughs> you, you better clear your schedule. <laughs> All right, man. Nick, you have a good one. Thanks, Nick. All right, guys. Take care. That was uh, Nick Bumgardner. He covers the athletic... Or, I'm sorry. He covers the NFL for the athletic um, and has sort of a pretty good angle, I think, because he floats between the college football world and the NFL world, so he can kind of give you a, a both um, analysis. But I think that at the end of the day, what he said about JT is real. You know, you're a really, really, really good traditional style running back in a league that is asking you to do more than just be a bell cow. You mentioned his college football side of things. We've been discussing it for the last couple of days. A seismic shift, it appears, in the Big Ten. We'll talk about it when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you. Insert obligatory, it's not your father's Big Ten joke here. <laughs> By the way, I, I I don't I don't care. I don't I don't feel that way. If college football is rapidly changing, it is not what it used to they be. They ruined the sports. <laughs> 
This money, this greed has ruined the sport I love. Am I the old man yells at a cloud? You played that role well. I'll get the Oscar vote in there. This is from a couple different sources, including ESPN's Pete Thamel. What are we doing? <laughs> what is going on, Jimmy? This went from when I woke up this morning. Why? That Arizona was likely to maybe hold off on a potential move to the Big 12. Who? Which would then, in theory, keep Oregon and Washington maybe in the Pac-12. The thought was that this morning the Pac-12 was going to have a a rights offer to make to their schools that are still in conference and retain them. And then just about an hour ago, the college football world from a reporting standpoint went totally wild. A Big Ten president's call was scheduled, wasn't scheduled prior to this morning. And now from Pete Thamel, Washington and Oregon are fully engaged with the Big Ten. That was an hour ago. And then just 10 minutes ago, the Big Ten expected to move ahead with formal offer letters for Oregon and Washington. A Big Ten vote is expected to take place later today to formalize their admission, barring any last-minute snags. And again, that would be admission for 2024. We're going to dive into this further and expand on it at 1.30. We have Brian Windhorst coming on next. There's a lot of angles in the NBA and what the Pacers want to cover with him. So, James, I'll toss the ball to you. I'm I'm fine with this because it is a join-or-die mentality with the Big Ten right now. They view themselves in an arms race with the SEC. How do you feel about all this as, a, as another alum of a Big Ten school and a fan of college football? Yeah, I mean, large? that's kind of how it goes. And I feel like we've seen, sort of seen it from the last few years of realignment and things like that. It just becomes, I guess, more and more... Uh, hyperbolic it seems like at this point but at the end of the day as long as I can turn on my TV and have pretty good matchups come Saturday I am fine with it and I think everyone naturally is against change until it happens and we scream and yell and we bicker we argue and then when everything kind of settles we kind of look out from the other side like oh it wasn't that bad so I think that's what we're going through now (laughs) I mean I'm sure I'm getting a lot of that but at the end of the day I always think about will it get reversed no. And then it's like the same thing with uh, the argument here in Indiana about single class, you know, tournaments. Like, yeah. go back to like how it used to be. It's never going to go back that way. Yeah. So you can choose to enjoy it as it continues on, or you can choose to just, you know, ban yourself from the sport, which everyone threatens and says, I'll never watch this again. Yes, you will. And, yes, be, you will. and be happy that Big Ten by name still exists today. Honestly. The Pac 12. Uh, by the end of the night, might not be around anymore. I was about to say, I you mean, got some vintage Pac-12 gear lying around? <laughs> <laughs> it might be time to put it on eBay. We're going to step aside. By the way, last note on that, per Pete Thamel, Big Ten vote is expected to be unanimous. So I've been cautious with this as we've talked about it, but it's becoming to the big dogs now of reporting in college athletics that this is for real, this is happening. Oregon and Washington expected to be added, along with USC and UCLA, who are already in the mix for 2024. What a crazy conference. What a crazy world college athletics is. We'll switch to another crazy world. It's the NBA. ESPN's Brian Windhorst joins the show next. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Still here in the DriveHubler.com studio, I'm James Boyd alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. We're sharing memes about the realignment of the college football world. 
You just cut Jonathan Taylor and his contract is hold in, hold out, ankles, backs, all the all of that jazz. Now we will pivot to the NBA, the Pacers, with none other than Brian Windhorst of ESPN. Wendy, how you doing? How's it going? Good afternoon. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I know we had uh, talked about this for a while now. And I'll start with what was your reaction to the Ursay bus? the motor coach that you saw all over Twitter. And I wanted to, you know, do your own meme back at you about what was going on here in Indianapolis. <laughs> I, I wanted to know about this uh, private bus. Like, they train in Indy, right? They're not training, like, two hours away or anything, right? No, it's about 30 minutes away yeah. in Westfield, neighboring city. But, yeah, it's basically the Indy area. They're not, like, super far Still away Still central Indiana. Exactly. Yeah. I'm fascinated by this private bus. I, I want to know more. I think, I think Jerry Jones has one, too. Is it just because Jerry has one? Ursay has one? Like, I'm just, I'm, when I was reading about that, I don't know, maybe he's had it for 10 years, but I didn't hear about it until the private meeting with the running back. And so I was like, what's going on the private bus? I want to know about the private bus. I, I'm fascinated about the private bus. <laughs> well, look, I will try to get you, like, a 10,000-word, you know, inside Jim Irsay's bus because everything is inside now. Inside this negotiation, inside this trade. So I'll get, try to get inside Jim Irsay's bus. I need you to take a tour of the bus. <laughs> Just call the Colts, figure out how you can make that happen and get us a story. <laughs> I mean, Brian has been crazy here in Indianapolis. I'm, I'm glad to talk about the Pacers, the team that is not you know going through a ton of, uh, I guess, nonsense right now. But when it comes to their focal point, Tyrese Halliburton, he's out in Vegas right now, I believe, preparing for Team USA. So I'll start there. Brian, what was it like to see him make that jump after having the Pacers you know, believe in him, trade for him, and obviously reward him with a massive contract? He's always been a player that has had great potential. I never understood even on draft night. It was a mystery about why he slid to the well, – I think it was the 10th pick or 11th pick, whatever it was um, – He's obviously somebody who has terrific upside. Um, I don't think he's a guy who can be maybe maybe this can be used against me later on. I don't necessarily think he's the best player on a championship team, um, but I do think he is a guy who can be an all-star for a long time, and the Pacers obviously felt that way. Uh, they gave him a $200 million contract basically 15 minutes after they were allowed to do it. And there's nobody who doesn't think that's a good idea. High character, uh, all kinds of natural leadership abilities, and also very talented. This was going to be a great opportunity for him. Um, I know that this, the, that the World Cup isn't viewed as a big deal by a lot of American fans. In fact, it was in Indianapolis once about 20 years ago, and I don't think the fans of any even cared about it then. Um, it, it's not comparable to the Olympics, but it's a great opportunity for a player like Tyrese to grow. He will get a big role there. He's going to get big minutes. And I can tell you, going back into history, if you look at guys who have big summers with Team USA, it very often translates to big summers with their team. And he is in a big role. And um, the games are on ESPN. They'll be on the World Cup in about three weeks. They're on in the mornings, early in the mornings, like uh, 8 or, or 7 or 8 o'clock. I know it's going to be Hard to focus on that when it's college football season, but um, if you get a chance, check it out what he does there because, um, you know, Steve Kerr uh, and Grant Hill handpicked him to, to, to be this, and he's going to be running the team to a certain extent. He's at the first training camp yesterday. He was leading 
one of the the uh, the teams as the point guard. So um, it's a great summer opportunity for him, and a chance to build some momentum coming into what could be a real swing season for the Pacers. They could take a big step forward here in this upcoming year. And I know you mentioned the World Cup isn't obviously on the same stage as the Olympics, but when you look at this roster and some of the talent that's on it, some of the guys that are on it, I believe the headliner obviously is Anthony Edwards. Does it feel like this is sort of that new regime, that new era of what we could see become, you know, the pillars of the league? Yeah, so the last time around they had this event, it was in 2019. It was in China, and that team was similar to this team. It had a bunch of young guys who were on the rise. So Jason Tatum was on that team. Tatum is now, you know, an MVP, a perennial MVP candidate. Jalen Brown was on that team. Donovan Mitchell was on that team. We're talking about guys who are now on the All-NBA team now. And, and you know, it's not the A-team. You know, we do not have Steph Curry and LeBron uh, going over there right now. But um, it's definitely for, for the ascendant. Um, and so the guys who are, uh, who are the centerpiece of this team, I suspect in two or three years will be the guys who are first, second, third team All-NBA, just like we saw from a couple of years ago. So you're talking about Anthony Edwards. You're talking about uh, Tyrese. You're talking about Jaron Jackson. Um, uh, Mikhail um, Bridges, um, you know, is definitely an opportunity for these guys to step up. And, look, they now they didn't used to do this. They used to play the World Cup in the in-between, the even year in-between the Olympics, if the Olympics were in 2012, then the World Cup would be in 2014, and you got more of the top players playing. Now they put them in back-to-back years, so this summer is the World Cup, next summer the Olympics, the top players don't play. They don't play across the world. You know, uh, Jokic is sitting out for Serbia. Uh, Giannis is probably not going to play for Greece and stuff like that. But it's still a great opportunity for these young players, and I can just tell you that um, – uh, I will almost guarantee you that some of these guys who are on this roster, you will see as some of the league's best players, um, you know, in the short term future. ESPN's Brian Windhorst with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Brian, when you look at the state of the league, we know it's clearly far and away more player friendly in terms of contract negotiations and everything than what goes on day to day for James over at Colts camp. But when you look at what is there in the last couple of CBAs to help teams retain talent, the super max, the designated rookie extension that Tyrese Halliburton just signed, are we in a better place now with those things? Have they had a positive impact for teams trying to retain players or is it still at the end of the day? players are going to do what players are going to do? Not really. I mean, I think what happened is after LeBron James walked a couple of times, after Kevin Durant walked, after Kawhi Leonard walked, um, the teams really wanted to try to get players into contracts. So they changed the rules over the last you know five to eight years that really encourages the players to sign uh, extensions, and we've seen that. And so now you just have guys on extensions forcing trades, whether that's Kevin Durant now we have Dame Lillard trying it. Um, James Harden uh, forced to trade twice on the same extension. The same <laughs> extension that was supposed to keep him in Houston, he got traded twice on it, and now he's looking for a third trade. Um, and so, I mean, if the players can do it, they're going to do it. Um, I don't really blame them. I guess what it's protected, um, you know, it happened to to the, the, the Pacers. You know, Paul George wanted a trade. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was a guy who signed – what at the time was the Supermax. Now, now the Pacers gave him a player option in that deal, which they did it to save a little bit of money, and that's 
water under the bridge, and I think it hurt them. But eventually, I think Paul George would have wanted out. And uh, so, yeah, I think what it does is it protects the teams from losing the players for nothing, which is what happened to the Cavs when LeBron walked and the Raptors and the Thunder when their star players walked. Now you can get like these hauls that um, the Utah Jazz got for Donovan Mitchell or the or the, or the Nets got for or Kevin Durant. We can go on about that. Um, but it's not really limited star player movement. Ultimately, if, uh, you know, having a star player is only half the battle. You have to have the star player and you have to build a team around him that he wants to be at because at any time uh, the league has not gotten to the point where they've enforced – uh, the contracts and the players have the agency and, and they just take it. To your point, Brian, when you talk about, you know, adding pieces and obviously the Pacers aren't in a position where they've added a superstar. I think that, like you said, Tyrese Halliburton is a really, really good player. That upper echelon of best player on the championship team is very, you know, slim. I mean, we're still asking that question about Jason Tatum. Can he be that guy and get him over the hump? But when you look at what the Pacers have done this offseason to – I think, potentially be a playoff team next year. What do you think of the additions of, you know, Jairus Walker in the draft, first and foremost, and then adding a guy like Bruce Brown, maybe overpaying for him, but getting someone who has that winning pedigree and knows what it takes to win at the highest level? Yeah, they did overpay for him. But if you're going to operate in free agency in Indiana, you're going to overpay. I mean, that's just the way way it goes. I mean, um, he's not the same type of player just to be clear, but, you know, I always thought the last Pacers team that was really competitive, you know, they got David West in free agency. I mean, that team, the core of that team was built through the draft, which was um, obviously Paul George and, um, you know, George Hill came in the draft and uh, Roy Hibbert came in the draft. And then they used the free agent sort of move to supplement the team. This team has been largely built um, – through the draft and through trade, uh, the Halliburton was a trade. Um, you know, Ben Matherin, who uh, obviously is an exciting player, uh, had more exciting in the first half of last year than the second half. So that's a challenge for him this year to recapture that and grow from that. But, you know, Matherin through the draft. Walker looked very good in summer league. There's a lot of people excited about him. Um, absolutely one of the, in my view, one of the steel trades of the summer in terms of value was the Pacers just stealing Obi Toppin from the Knicks. That's <laughs> That's still, I mean, Obi Toppin might not be a, a standout player, but they got him for two second-round picks, a player of that kind of athleticism who I think was undervalued in New York because of the way they played. Um, that's a nice addition. They've added some real talent to this roster. I mean, Walker, I think, is going to be a contributor right away. Uh, obviously, Bruce Brown is a guy who can do a lot of different things and play kind of different roles, kind of the way David West did. I think the challenge in the Eastern Conference is, it's really jammed up. It's you know, it's really it's really tight. You know, and we have some teams that we don't know what they're going to be. We don't know what the Miami Heat are going to be. Yeah, the Miami Heat were in the finals last year, but they lost two starters in uh, Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. Two starters off that team as they've been waiting for Dane Lillard. Will they make the Dane Lillard trade? I don't know. Is Philadelphia going to trade James Harden or what's going to happen there? I don't know. Um, you know, I, so there's some there's some question marks. Is is Toronto? going to trade Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, or are they going to hold on to him? You know, I don't know. So the Pacers are operating in sort of this gray area. I could present you a case where they could finish anywhere from 6th to 12th, and some of it is to do with how well their moves work out, and some of it is to do with what happens with other teams.
So um, I do think this. I think if I was a Pacers fan, I'd be very much looking forward to this season. I think they are ascendant. They have an excellent coach. They have shown that they can develop and improve players, and they have some guys who are improving. And so they're on the right path. I think they're obviously some transactions away, and I do think that at some point they are primed to make a move. And I don't know if the move is to be able to bring in a player of superstar caliber, but I do think their roster is armed with the kind of assets that you need to make a move. So I think that's something definitely to watch down the line. But I think they're headed in the right direction after – you know, definitely taking a bit of a rebuild, something the organization hasn't done in a long time. Brian, there's a lot of reports with the Damian Lillard, Miami Heat, Portland Trailblazers situation, and some of the more recent ones have been that Miami is the only team that's made a significant offer or maybe an only offer that's been made to Portland at this point. Is that what you've heard on that front? And either way, do you ultimately think that a deal gets done sending Dame to Miami? Well, it's very dangerous in uh, in media. To, the word "offer" can be manipulated right. a lot. You know, uh, if you know, I came to your door and said, "Boy, I'll, I'm looking for a house, and uh, I'll bet a uh, million dollars to go a long way." Did I make an offer on your house? No. You know, uh, I mean, you could say with a straight face, "I didn't make an offer," right? But I, I kind of indicated I wanted it. Right. So. No, I can't identify another team that seriously is after Dame Lillard. Let me just say real quick, most trades, there's only one or two teams involved at the very end. Um, you know, obviously there are certain situations of certain players were a bunch of teams, but it's, it's one thing to register interest. Most of the time when teams are deciding on a trade, it's, it's between like one or two options. And so the idea that there would only be one or two teams bidding isn't unusual. That's number one. Um, number two is a year ago when the when Kevin Durant was dangled on the market for about a month, the Phoenix Suns were kind of mentioned as a possibility, but they weren't viewed as the front runner at all, and they certainly weren't offering what they offered a few months later. And so it's just sort of basic game theory. If you don't like what you're being offered – and you don't have any pressure to take the deal. In other words, the trade deadline isn't tonight, and you're not having anybody really breathing down your neck. You control the contract. Why take it? The deal is, is very likely not going to get worse. It's only going to get better. And so that's where we're at right now. And I know that the Miami fans are frothing at the mouth. You know, you don't have anything else. Just take what you can get and move on. That's your opinion. You know, so I'm not surprised at all on this. As soon as I saw the way this played out, where the um, where the the Blazers really didn't improve their roster, and I could kind of see the lay of the land about what Miami had to offer, I was like, "Well, settle in for a long one," because I think it's good. And by the way, this isn't unusual. We've seen trade standoffs like this happen routinely over the last decade. So. This isn't even, you know, out of the first quarter yet in terms of the gamesmanship that could be played uh, with the with the the next round really coming at the start of training camp, which is almost two months away at this point. We talk about contracts. The biggest one NBA history: Jalen Brown, five years, three hundred and four million. I know everyone kind of loses their minds because it is the highest in NBA history. Do you think that they had to do that, Boston, Brian? Do you think they had to? invest in Jalen Brown at the super max level when obviously we saw how poorly he played in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think he shot 16% from three. Yes, they had to do it. 
Um, it's a very nuanced explanation as to why they had to do it. Uh, but long story short, they were in a corner. Um, the biggest reason is because he only had one year left on his contract, and um, they weren't able to – they didn't have much negotiating position because his contract right now, he's a little bit underpaid. Uh, regardless of the way he played in the conference finals or the finals before that, he's a little bit underpaid. And so that limited their options in terms of how they could negotiate the contract. And if they didn't give him that money, he was very likely going to walk next summer. And so I know that the headline, it's the most, it's the biggest contract in NBA history is stunning, but it won't be the biggest for very long. You know, at one time, Mike Conley Signed I remember the this contract <laughs> in NBA history, and it wasn't like it imperiled the Grizzlies, or you know, it wasn't like people view him as getting an unfair contract. Um, the NBA is on the verge of massive salary growth with the new TV deal. Basically, NBA salaries spun their wheels for about two or three seasons because of the COVID, the lack of COVID, um, uh, the revenue slowed down. The revenue is not slowing down anymore. It's going up. We now have multiple players in the NBA whose contracts are signed for um, over $60 million a year. They're not making $60 million yet. The highest salary this year is Steph Curry. I think he's about $52 million. But at the back end of some of the contracts being signed now, we're, you know, Dame Lillard, for example, the last year of his contract, I believe, is $63 million. In the next year or two, you're going to see that number touch 70 million some of the contracts that are signed and these guys who just signed their first contract their first big contracts this summer like Tyrese Halliburton uh like Anthony Edwards um it's possible that when they sign their supermaxes if they progress to that level you know they reach that level where they get the biggest contract allowable like Jalen Brown just signed that the salaries could you know, be hitting 80 or $90 million per year. That's where the money is going. The, the TV money is only going up and there's only, there's still only going to be one or two stars per team. And so um, that's where we're headed. So what, I, what, which, what I'm saying is you may look at Jalen Brown and say, Oh my God, 300 million is crazy money. But in a few years, we're going to start seeing routine $300 million contracts. And he's just going to be one of the guys that has it. Yeah, I agree. I think the optics of the left hand not being able to dribble very well during the Eastern Conference Finals when you Are get you saying for three hundred million you should expect a player to dribble with his left hand. I mean, hey, I'm I'm not you know a rocket you know scientist. Sky high or, standards over there, but James. I'm just Jeez. saying. Like I watched the final, it was very spooky in the Eastern Conference Finals. But another player who was in line to get a lot of money, at least the bonuses, is John Morant. And obviously he can't. He's going to be ineligible for the All-NBA because he's already been suspended for too many games under the new rules and games limits and things like that. But where do you think he goes from here when you talk about a superstar who has to take on more accountability for himself and be a leader if he wants this thing to last monetarily? But just even from a, like a purely mentally health standpoint, where do you see him going from here? Yeah, so um, I can't. I did the math at one point. I, I want to say it's somewhere in the neighborhood that the the two suspensions have basically are going to cost him somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, sixty million dollars. Not because that's what he's getting fined, 
but because the fines and the suspensions undercut his chance of making all NBA and getting the supermax, and then um, then you know twenty five million dollars, you know he's losing hundreds of thousands of dollars per game for twenty five sorry twenty five games. Um, he's losing millions and millions for that. Now, for a player like him who has potentially a very long, uh, rich career in front of him, that may only be a minor setback. A decade from now, he may be earning $100 million a year, and this may be so far in his rearview mirror that it's not even something that's considered anymore. Um, but he's at a crucial point. You know, this summer should be the summer that John Morant is leading Team USA. He, his shoe should be on display as the shoe going forward for Nike. He should be the, the, you know, the upcoming face of Nike. That's what Nike was planning. Yeah. They were planning for him to be their new face of their team. You know, more, you know, several brands had made him their ambassador, like the face of their brand. You know, he was – because here's why, guys. How many – American players under the age of 25 right now are there who are superstars? That's a good question. The last five MVPs are foreign-born players. And the biggest thing in the league right now is the arrival of another foreign-born player. And obviously, while we in the NBA uh, love the fact that the game's become international – uh, you want to see, uh, you know, as far as marketing, you want to see Americans. Americans want to see Americans doing well. So the opportunity for Ja to take that mantle, I mean, really the only comparable player right now under that spot is, is Jason Tatum. Um, Zion was sort of seen as the guy who could be that, but he hasn't been able to do it. Ja was the guy who was able to do it. He was, he, he was backing it up all of it, and he had the mantle there to take, and it's slipping through his fingers. Now, it's not over. He hasn't done anything that can't be solved, but he's harmed his situa- himself a lot, and more uh, concerningly, he hasn't taken accountability for it. You know, when he got suspended, the players' union put out a statement saying they were, they were really upset with the suspension, and they said that he had taken accountability. He was the reason he got suspended for the 25 games was the exact opposite because he right. hadn't taken accountability. It was a complete misnomer for them to say that. Look, they're defending their guy. I get it, but you know that's what you want to see. And there's literally nobody out there who's rooting against him. I mean, and that's one of the other things is that it seems like he might feel like this is something that's been being done to him. Everybody wants to see this guy succeed. Watching him play is electric. I mean, he, 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 the way he moves, it's almost unbelievable to see the way the guy moves on his legs. It's just crazy. I've almost never seen bounce like that. It almost looks like he's wearing illegal shoes, the way he's bouncing <laughs> around. His, he's got an, a totally electric personality. He's got a very attractive family. I mean, definitely, you know, people that, you know, that you really want to root for. He's got so he's got a young team that is ready to ascend to championship contention. Literally, he checks every box, and he just keeps stubbing his own toe. So nothing's destroyed yet, but obviously he's in a crucial season. He's got a lot of time here to try to take care of his situation. 
I wish I could tell you I knew it was going to happen, but I can tell you that the NBA needs Ja. We at ESPN need Ja. Basketball needs Ja. We need him to be great. And that's one of the reasons why this has been so upsetting. Brian, last thing on my end, Brian Windhorst, ESPN, taking some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Last thing on my end, as you followed the chronicles of Victor Wembanyama to this point in his career, kind of a two-part question. One, Wemby to Andy. Uh, <laughs> James had Wemby to Andy t-shirts lined up and he had to, <laughs> yeah. had to sell them all. Uh, I, I blink once in your state side on my television. I blink again and you've you've taken it overnight to Paris and you're there on draft lottery night. Uh, take us through that journey, A, and then B, what is a reasonable bar for him in year one? Well, I just thought it was a really great opportunity to be with the player at the moment where he finds out where he's going to go. Um, there's this guy, I, I'm not a hockey fan, um, the player, Connor McDavid, who I think is one of the best players at NHL. Um, I happened to be in Toronto during the playoffs years ago when the Raptors were really good, when he was, when they had the lottery and it, it was like for Canada, it was like Victor Wembanyama. He was like, he was a generational prospect for Canada. They were the, the, um, Maple Leafs were in the, um, running for him, one of the top chances. I happened to be in Toronto to cover a, a Raptors playoff series. And I was watching the city of Toronto go crazy. And I watched the, the lottery and he found out, I think he went to Edmonton. Don't hold it against me if I don't know. I think he was Edmonton that won the lottery. And like 14 seconds later, he was on set, you know, at the, at the CBC in Canada. Well, Connor, you know, you're going to Edmonton. What do you think? And I was like, oh, my God, what amazing television that they were able to get the raw reaction of this player whose whole career was going to be determined in a blink of an eye and seconds later. I always thought it was amazing, even though I didn't know anything about hockey. And so when the opportunity presented itself to go be there with Victor, and I spent a week with him and his family and his agents and his team in January, so I developed some relationships there. The opportunity to go do that, no matter what Victor becomes, I thought was a great opportunity. And it wasn't going to be the greatest interview in history. It was going to be three questions at 2.30 in the morning, and I had – one minute and 11 seconds because we were too, we were going to a Western Conference <laughs> finals game. You know, it wasn't like I could, um, it, but I just thought it was going to a really cool opportunity. And it wasn't just that. I spent three days there on that trip and did some other stuff that contributed to our other coverage. But um, I just want to temper the expectations with him. I agree that he is potentially a generational prospect. I agree that he has a skill set and a size that we've never actually seen before. So he's the GOAT. <laughs> and studied him. But he is still 19 years old. 19-year-olds, for the most part, don't impact winning in the NBA. Even LeBron, even though the Cavs got better when he got there, they missed the playoffs his first two years. Luka Doncic, one of the great teenagers ever to come in the league. I don't think the Mavericks made the playoffs until his third season. They, you know, I think they made the conference finals in his fourth season, but you know, you know, and he's going to get embarrassed because when you're seven foot five and you're, you're, you're thin like that, you're going to get embarrassed. Whenever you're trying to be a shot blocker in the NBA, you're going to get embarrassed. Go ask Miles Turner. You think Miles Turner hasn't been on some posters. If you're going to try to block some shots, you're going to get embarrassed. He's got a high center of gravity. Uh, that high center of gravity enables him to do some incredible things. He's easy to get knocked off balance. He's going he's gonna to lose his balance a little bit. So 
if you want to find a reel where he looks where he gets embarrassed, you'll be able to find it probably pretty quickly. But after watching him a lot in Europe, he'll also do some incredible things at the other end of that. So I would just say he's 19. Uh, let's check back when he's 22 or 23. I do believe at that time he's going to be a gigantic force in the league. Um, but I, I really – and I, by the way, I'm not just telling you this. I've told people at my company this <laughs> who are very excited to put him out there and put him on TV. I've just tried to cool their jets. I was like, yes, I went over to France and wrote a lot about him and did stories about him. No, I don't think he's going to win the MVP in, rookie, in his rookie year. So I think you know both things can, can be true. Goat or bust is all I heard from what you just said. <laughs> no, nah, nah, I'm joking. Uh, Wendy, last thing for me is yes or no, will the Pacers be a playoff team this upcoming season, whether they have to go through the play-in, but will they be a top eight team when it's all said and done? I don't know. I wish I could tell you, like, oh, yeah, they're going to win uh, 46 <laughs> games I, because I just, number one, I don't know how they're going to come together. But most importantly, I don't know the way the rest of the East is going to go. I don't know which direction Philly is going to go. I don't know whether Miami is going to end up in a good spot there. I don't know where Atlanta is going to go. Atlanta has changed their roster a little bit. I don't know whether Toronto is going to keep in, you know, going forward or whether they're going to take a step back. These are all factors. I do think the Pacers are on the right track. I do think that they will win more games than they did last year. I do think that they are a team that is headed, that has a, that has a bright future and that is going to be worth paying attention to. I don't know if it's going to end up in the playoffs. Um, it would be terrific for them if they got one of those four spots, seven, eight, nine, ten, and got into the playoff, into the play-in. I think that would be a terrific step forward for them, and I think that's something that they can start the season off with a with a, as a legitimate goal. All right, Brian, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you coming on. And also, even when I was covering the Pacers back when I was doing NBA things, reaching out and kind of mentoring me throughout that. So I'll catch up with you here soon, and good luck going forward. Losing you the NFL was a big loss. We're going to get you back in the NBA sooner or later, I promise. All right, we'll see, man. You have a good one. Thanks, Brian. Take care. All right, that was Brian Winhorst of ESPN. I wanted to just picture him doing the meme the entire time we talked to him when he posed some of these questions, but obviously I thought he had a very good insight about the Pacers, what this upcoming World Cup could mean for Tyrese Halliburton, his confidence in the team itself, but also just general NBA news when it comes to radar on Damian Lillard, the pulse of John Morant, and then obviously Wimby to Indy, which could happen in free agency down the line. <laughs> We're seeing guys ask out of these max contract deals, you know, Tyrese, yeah. you play you play well in the World Cup. You show the world what you what you have to offer. You know, might get a little birds. That's a reference to Game of Thrones, yeah, right there, yeah. to to kind of get yeah. in Wimby's ear and tell him, hey, that guy in Indiana, pretty good. Well, I'm not giving up on the Wimby to Indy T-shirts. All that yet. means is that you couldn't find any buyers and you didn't want to donate them to Goodwill. That's all that all that means to me. Hey, look, man, brothers got to eat, right? You know. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. <laughs> That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison here with us as well. We talked about it before we had that conversation with Brian Windhorst, and that is a big shakeup within the Big Ten Conference and all of college athletics. That happens to involve both Oregon and Washington. We'll discuss the ramifications from it and where things go from here we come back on the Fan Midday Show. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. 
Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Big Ten might need to rebrand. <laughs> big whatever. <laughs> it's a big 18. If all goes well and formal offer letters are signed, Pete Thamel of ESPN, among others, had the news about an hour ago. Big Ten expected to move ahead with formal offer letters for Oregon and Washington. Man, I didn't think about this throughout the whole process, but there's a number of memes going on about this whole thing. And this, of course, would be in 2024. So USC, UCLA already have membership departing from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten next season. Oregon and Washington, barring any turncoats or change of heart in the 11th hour, that will take place once it's expected to be a unanimous vote later today. So that adds Oregon and Washington to the mix. And um, saw Bill Walton in one of these memes. Conference of Champions, no more. Pac-12, whole conference champions brand. It's, it is on its swan song. Honestly, I'm thinking to myself, like, how many shirts do I have back home <laughs> in my closet right now? They're like vintage because they have a Big Ten logo on it or something like that. Yeah. Or the school, whatever, is just not in it anymore. They are in it. It's just a lot of changes going on. But at the end of the day, like I said earlier, as long as you got my games on Saturday, I'll be a happy man. But it is. I'm just thinking to myself, we talked about this off air, Rutgers, UCLA, like, <laughs> like, I mean, Washington and Purdue. Like, these games are just going to be so weird to me when they have to travel. Iowa versus USC is going to be glorious. You could bet <laughs> Iowa's under and you could bet USC's over and have a great time. That might either set sports <laughs> back or push it all the way into the future because, I mean, well, Iowa... <laughs> I mean, the joke with Iowa was, I mean, USC might more score, score more touchdowns in that game than Iowa scores in like five weeks. <laughs> so Five weeks might be generous. It could be not any more different from just a historical, like cultural way of how they play football. It is, I mean, oh God, it's going to be great. If you're a fan of the Big Ten right now and you're upset about this or you're frustrated with it or you're like, ah, this is not what college athletics used to be for me this is tough I don't want it and you're just maybe considering God forbid not watching college football moving forward I doubt, I doubt you're going that far if you're as passionate of a college football fan and I think you are a hypothetical listener I'm talking to the reason I say that is because I have buddies out west and a couple buddies that went to Stanford went to Cal went to programs that currently don't have offers on the table right now imagine if you were Northwestern or Indiana or Purdue and you're looking for and scrambling for a new conference the Big Ten and James you correct me if you disagree with this or if you agree with it either way but the Big Ten has been so forward thinking and aggressive with this process of we are not going to be the hunted we are going to be the hunter in conference realignment they were ahead of the curve on it and they're now not only scooping USC and UCLA, which has already been done for the last year. Next year, you're also adding Oregon and Washington to the pack. You are the winner. The Big, the Big Ten wins in all of this from just the brand and the conference being alive. Just solely that. Pac-12, 
might just be a Wikipedia page you click on that said, was a conference from such and such to 2023. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, there might be some of those purists who are involved in these decisions where it's like, man, we would love to keep the, the traditional Big Ten. We would love to have it be sort of historical reference point for our you know take on the college football landscape. But the bottom line is it's eat or be eaten. And they decided to eat, and it's smart. I mean, it's business. And at the end of the day, I know we talk so much about the history of college athletics. And I think a lot of that is why we were drawn to it in the first place. Like, my biggest fandom probably growing up was the D. Brown era of Illinois basketball. Yeah. Like, yeah. I wasn't thinking about conferences and realignment back then and all those things. But it's also about money, and money will always rule out these things. And, and so if you just accept the fact that – okay, money's always going to sway these decisions. Would I rather be, you know, a member of school in a conference that's on the up and up or, you know, someone who's trying to play catch up and hoping not to be left out? It's like musical chairs. You know, it's only so many seats you're going to have at the table. And when the music stops, you don't want to be left, you know, on the outside looking in. The other aspect of this, and James is right, it's always about the money. That's all ever be about is where's the money coming from? What are we looking at here? The reports from Dan Wetzel yesterday, and this is echoed as well by Pete Thamel, Dan, of course, with Yahoo Sports, Pete Thamel with ESPN, that the teams that were joining the Big Ten in USC and UCLA last year, when these rights agreements were finalized, they, being USC and UCLA, were going to be about, or going to be a part, I beg your pardon, of that revenue share at the 100% rate. But the thought is that the schools that will be joining now per reports, per an expected unanimous vote by Big Ten presidents later today, Oregon and Washington, when they join the first couple of years with how these rights distribution, where's the money going, might be a 50% rate of that. And you look at that, and me and Eddie talked about this yesterday, maybe you look at it and you say, well... What are they going to do about the other sports? Like, How are they going to balance everybody from travel standpoint that's if fair. they're taking a pay cut? That's and fair. that's fair. But as Eddie and I discussed yesterday, if the alternative is no money, no media rights deal, and a conference like, God forbid, you're going to Washington, you end up in the Mountain West instead of the Big Ten, you're going to take 50% on the dollar for two or three years versus signing up for the Mountain West when you're never going to touch that kind of money you have to you have to and again this is the forward forward thinking we talked about we discussed where you're just trying to change as quickly as possible and adapt to a situation that is ever adapting and so is this going to be the last of conference realignment i mean maybe if they turn to a monopoly and it's just like the big 10 slash sec slash you know everyone else is with us now at the end of the day you're trying to keep up like you said earlier in this arms race with the SEC, who has always, you know, been king when it comes to these decisions, money-making decisions, and that forward thinking down south. So I kind of look at it like we're probably going to be in a situation where we have a major conference up north-ish, and it's the major conference down south, yeah. and that's sort of how it is. And you have like the Mason-Dixon line of, <laughs> you know, uh, conferences and, and conference realignment. I mean, I feel like that's – Sort of where it's trending. Now, you obviously have your other conferences, but when we're talking about big dogs, yeah. those are the two that I imagine will be the ones 
sort of making these decisions when it comes to TV rights, media rights, and things like that. And it should be noted as well, the other caveat to all this is so much hinge, at least in the reports the last couple of days, was for the Pac-12 and for the Big Ten, what does Arizona do first? And it looked like maybe Oregon was going to force Arizona's hand earlier today and that perhaps the Pac-12 might be saved. Well, now that Oregon and Washington appear to be officially moving on to the Big Ten, the domino effect would be Arizona goes to the Big 12. Perhaps Arizona State and Utah follow. That's been, again, just the speculation on this. So suddenly the Big 12 becomes a probably not to the level of the Big 10 or the SEC, but well, you've got some brand names of sustainability there. Yeah. Kansas, Texas, Baylor, Houston, Texas Tech, and now adding Arizona, Arizona State, etc. But what it leaves the Pac-12, the, again, as we joked about, former Conference of Champions, if that plays out, again, the move for Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten appears all but go once the vote takes place today. If that happens, the Pac-12 is Cal, Stanford, Oregon State and Washington State. That's it. Where they go, Mountain West has been thrown out, but but the Pac-12 as we know it, it appears as though you can safely carve the tombstone as it stands. But Jimmy, what does it all mean? <laughs> what does it all mean? It means a great day to be a fan for, of Big Ten football. But you go ahead. What does it mean for who? Bill Walton. <laughs> oh my goodness. If we get him on this topic... It might not end until like 2 a.m. because he's going to be talking about Mars and aliens and what he did back in the 1970s. But and the Conference of Champions. Well, I, I have no idea what it means for Bill Walton <laughs> that in terms statement of alone, day-to-day. Can you clip that, Eddie? I have no idea what this means for Bill Walton. I don't think anybody does. Jimmy, out of context. <laughs> but I will say... Freezing cold takes. <laughs> the outside looking in aspect of this, if you're a fan of Bill Walton's work is that if that means I get to see him on a Big Ten game in the near oh. future, I'm, I'm ecstatic about that because I'm an agent of chaos <laughs> and I love Bill Walton. A lot of people I know don't like Bill Walton as a commentator, but hey, you just move the conference champions over to the Big Ten and we have Bill Walton and Mackey for uh, UCLA-Purdue. Right. So you know what? I think for me with Bill Walton, <laughs> it's like a acquired taste and it's also the time of day. So whenever I've heard him talking about a game, it's usually a game that's late at night that I don't really care too much about, or it's a game like on a weekend I don't care too much about, so it's like background noise. But I will say I probably don't want him – I don't know. I, don't, I, probably, I may not want him on like a very serious like Big Ten championship game you know where he's to me. He, to me, he's a guy that you like to listen to when your team isn't playing. But when it's okay, your team playing, that's where it is. That's probably the like, best okay. way to phrase it. Yeah, because I mean, I love listening to the guy. But yeah, when you're like mad at the world because you know I you turn the ball over or something like that, you probably want to hear Bill Walton talking about like what happened, you know, during some <laughs> festival back in 1982 or something. So we'll see. But at the end of the day, if that's what we're talking about, which we will be talking but the, about, these are the jo- this is the point. This is the overlying point. To your end, this is the luxury of being a Big Ten football say. fan right now. Because instead of being worried about that. who are we going to play in 2024, will there still be it's who's athletics? Yeah. It is who's calling the game <laughs> and what is what are flight prices going to be like trying to get to USC for a conference game. It is not uh, Mountain West. Is that where, are, are we going to suddenly Look. be a part of the American? What, what's going on? Jimmy, if you mention Southern California <laughs> and IU... 
And as the quote-unquote known IU hater, whatever the case may be, I will be there in an IU shirt. I don't care because it's Southern California. So that sounds like a good problem to have. Where do we stand on the online. IU bucket hat? Where are we at on that? I, I, you know what? I'll probably, I'll probably put a poll out on Twitter or something like that and see what the people say. Should I wear? If someone said a cowboy hat, I have to actually be like somewhat serious. It is my job. I mean, if it wasn't Just show like, up in some jeans and some boots while I'm you're like, at it. I, I'm tempted to do it, but I'm also like, you got to keep a certain level of professionalism. So I think the IU bucket hat is also practical with the sun and also funny to get everyone to laugh. So I'll put a poll out there at some point and see where that goes. But I mean, at that point, maybe I'll get one with that has like the big 18 or something or the sheriff, (laughs) you know, on the back because it's going to be by then we could see some other teams moving around. I need you to go on eBay and try to find a Pac-12 bucket hat and get it here before (laughs) camp's over. And that's your play. There you go. Except we'd have to go through the roster and and figure out how many Colts players you might be upsetting that it might have Pac-12 ties. You know what? Jokes aside, it might be a question worth asking these guys. Not probably not during training camp because you want to make sure you're keeping the focus on camp. But when I'm you know, just those Fridays in the locker rooms upcoming season where you're kind of just, you know, talking and, and mingling and you're not really doing too much reporting, I'm sure there will be a lot of opinions about it. And I'm curious to see, for example, a guy like Paris Campbell is an Ohio State guy. He's moved on to New the York. The Ohio State. Oh, I'm sorry. The Ohio State. But, you know, there are other, I'm sure, Big Ten, uh, Big 12, Pac-12 guys who will be able to weigh in on their, um, I guess, old way of doing things. <laughs> The old way, like it's just such an ancient. Yes, <laughs> yes, ancient it's ancient history. Now. Yes, <laughs> like this big thing you speak of that did not include Oregon and Washington. I have no idea what you're talking about. Ancient history. I'm just excited to see again conversations we can have because the Big Ten is living and thriving. I'm just excited to see the face off of Bucky the Badger and the Oregon Duck. I mean, could you imagine? Let's go, Seriously, <laughs> there were what were what are we three years away from them not having a college football season during the pandemic to start. Yeah. And then, like, everyone freaking out when they restarted. Like, from that to this, good job on their part. Yeah. Applaud and tip of the cap all across the board of the Big Ten. If you're just a college football purist, I get it. It's a hard pill to swallow. It ain't that hard. Just wait until you get the pan over of a nice sunrise on college game day, and it'll still hit the same way, I promise you. There you go. We'll take our final break of this hour. Still to come, a conversation with Kevin Bowen. That's the top of the 2 o'clock hour. We'll get more thoughts both on Jonathan Taylor's situation and conference realignment playing out right in front of our eyes when we return on the Fan Midday Show. James, what are your thoughts on Orcas? It's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook here on the Fan Midday Show. All right, we've covered every single angle <laughs> involving the Colts. I will avoid yeah, I figured. the Orca angle. You. I, I guess my one line on that is it doesn't really matter. Because, it's going to be a whale of a time. Uh, <laughs> so bad well done that's horrible i'm just trying to put the bait out when there's a whale there's a whale oh my goodness that's even worse all right next topic please but well before that was actually a new york post opening line to to Uh, that story that fits okay i actually respect that there's a whale there's a way they they, they have a little more leniency with just how they put things out there and at the end of the day for everyone complaining about ursay possibly spending money on you know uh sea creatures his money does not affect the cultist cap space at all. He's still a decision maker in both, though. I was more the taken aback by the optics of it, and even though it was three weeks ago, the quote from to the Pat McAfee show of, I have the money, let's spend it. And It's like, well, if I'm JT, I'd... now we understand why he's Yeah, I would like some of that money. Day. I would like some of that money. <laughs> Mongo Pittman Jr., I wouldn't mind an extension, right? Talked about it earlier with Nick Baumgartner. No one ever wants to be 
below the market or underneath the market you know value you think you are at so yeah give me some of that money jimmy nick had a very forward thinking approach to the wide receiver conversation he i did. don't know that i see it as he did. bleak as he does but he basically painted it that maybe there's a shift of wide receivers and their likelihood to get paid that maybe they're getting closer to the early stages that running backs felt four or five years ago i think the point he was making and i can't see this going forward i also just don't know Wide receivers are a little bit different because you can have more than one out there at a time, too. But he's kind of looking at it like these guys are so good coming out now that you might not feel the need to, you know, sell out a boatload of cash to a guy like Michael Pittman Jr. Now, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is the exception to the rule where he comes in, in barring injury, he's most likely a wide receiver one from day one. But Pittman is like right in that sweet spot where that trend hasn't really taken over just yet. And as long as it's a passing league, I think that wide receivers, even if they're not getting $20 million a year every year, they're still going to get handsomely paid and a lot more paid than running backs. Right. And even even if they do, like to all that he said about maybe letting a wide receiver walk or not paying him, your thought would be, well, they have the tag. They can weaponize it. Like you mentioned, $23 million be the franchise tag projected or what it's supposed to be next year that would make him in the top 10 of highest paid wide receivers in the league again to be a one-year deal but that's still what you're looking at and it's one year guaranteed and that's exactly why mpj is not frowning at camp and he's basically been saying i'm good i'm ready i'm ready to prove myself i can survive any scheme you know it's an auditioning i'm auditioning for every team because that's what you do every week in the nfl every player does that no Every player does that, but you're also a wide receiver. And, again, he's playing it smart. I think that he's in a good position where the ball necessarily isn't in his court, but he knows that whenever it does come his way, it'll be you know alongside a boatload of cash. So he's in a good spot. Do you think that something gets done with him before the season goes, or do you think this is also, for the Colts' perspective, a let's see what we have? You know, we've talked about this a lot just around camp, mm-hmm. and, and it's kind of become – you know, an afterthought to me because you focus so much on JT and like the here and now. But I think I'm not sure if he'll get a deal done before the season starts. Um, like I said, when we talked to Jim Ursay during training camp, it was all JT questions mm-hmm. and right, rightfully so. But I think it would be better for the Colts to get a deal done now as opposed to waiting so after the season because yeah. I truly think that Pittman could be in for a thousand yard season no matter who's throwing him the ball because He's a pretty good receiver, and all he was missing last year was just a few jump balls to keep the defense honest, and that's what he's pretty good at. And I think that Alec Pierce is good at that as well. So I don't see him coming out and having some like abysmal year where he only has like 500 yards if he plays every game. I think he'll be in that 1,000-yard range. And even if he isn't, the excuse could be, hey, my quarterback wasn't all that great this year, and I've been durable throughout my career. I'm only 25, 26. So if you pay me, I can produce for you. So we'll see. But if you're his agent, why would you? Why would you want that extension before the season starts? Because you can have because it's football, and you could have a bad injury. That's the only reason I could see. Yep. Yeah, that's the only reason. And but, again, you, you might be willing to roll the dice on that and say, hey, you know what? We could go out here and and, and just yeah. you know play it out. But that's the only reason I could see. Like from a logical standpoint, is it's still a very violent sport, and you don't want to go out there and one play is the reason. 
you know, you're not getting the eighty million dollars just to say for four years that we threw out there before you went out there, you know, on your last year of your contract. Yeah, I mean, the only other angle to your point would be if you feel like the amount of money that the Colts would be willing to pay for you is more or at the point of what you could get on the open market next year, or you really like the situation in Indy, which again, I I don't think I could confidently say that if I was on this roster right now until right. I really see how Anthony Richardson looks when it comes time for week one, week yeah. four, whenever he's starting. But it would be very hard, you know, for him, I would imagine, to turn down like $80 million four years and let's say $50 million yeah, is guaranteed. I mean, that's, like, that's... That puts him within top 10, and if the guaranteed money is attractive enough, then... That's what I'm saying. To. I'm like, if it's $50 million guaranteed, it's hard to walk away from that and say... I can bet on myself to get more because obviously if you don't have a great season, that can be used against you. And then again, the injury factor, we're talking about a very violent game where every single day someone goes down. I mean, the first day of padded practices, Zach Moss was in a contract year as well, broke his arm. So again, we'll see how it plays out, but obviously Pittman's in a much better spot than any running back in the NFL right now. And that's the nature of the business. And I just want to know, whenever we talk to JT, what is your injury and how are you on that front? That's my biggest thing. The contract thing is one thing, but are you even healthy enough to play? We have no idea. And so that's where I want to get to the bottom of. James follows this as closely as anybody. Another person that follows it as closely as anybody. It's one of our very own. The fan zone, Kevin Bowen, gives us his thoughts on all things Jonathan Taylor, all things Colts camp when we come back. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Final hour of the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison here with us as well. Weekend nearly upon us, folks. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for joining us. Speaking of stopping by, always good to have a weekly conversation with the fans' own Kevin Bowen. You hear him on Kevin and Query, 7 to 10 a.m. every weekday here on The Fan. And, of course, Colts beat writer for 1075thefan.com. KB, we want to dive headfirst into the Colts stuff, but I'm worried we won't have time to get to this next point. Don't do it. Where do you think I'm going? Okay, don't go We're talking it. about his oh, amazing goodness. tan. Okay, what do you think I'm going to ask him about? Uh, I thought you were going to go to the Reds there for a second. No, I was like, don't I'm, do it. Why? Who do you think I am? Okay. You're a troll uh, uh, just uh, no, like me. No, no, no. I don't pour salt in Reds' wounds. I don't do it. Okay, You've done that to me a handful of times. Never done that to you about the Reds. That's not where I'm going with this, KB. I promise you, Scout's honor. I wanted to get your thoughts on the His fact tan. that <laughs> it's not the team. I either. got a photo of you. <laughs> the green KB, jerseys. you looked amazing the other day, by the way. Just letting you know. Well, thank you, James. I really could use that. Could have used that in college out of you. Could use uh, you know those those you know boosts of encouragement a lot a lot long ago. Jimmy Cook trying to take the Boy Scout route there was 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 quite the move. Acting like he's 
you know, on this pedestal above all of us and that he has not ripped anyone else's fandom before. Quite the stance there, Jimmy, on this Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Lying to the mm-hmm. listening audience here. Get him, KB, get him. I don't know that I've ever aggressively attacked the Reds. Have I made some side comments about the Colts <laughs> before? Probably. But I don't, I don't think I've particularly came after those baseball interests because I know how close to the heart that is for you and Eddie. Well, to be totally fair, wins has been the need to aggressively attack the Reds here, you know, as of late. It's not like they really put themselves in an August position for that. So I, I, I guess I will maybe eventually come around to your comment. And James Boyd, uh, when you when you threw out that camera on whatever that was <laughs> Tuesday morning, there was just a part of me that got very nervous for a split second. The picture I thought turned out decent for those unfamiliar. Joel Erickson and I had a bet on the Reds Brewer series from <laughs> – I guess now, whatever it was, a couple weeks ago, I lost. I said I'd wear a Joel shirt. For those that haven't seen Joel and I in person, there's a little bit of a height differential there. So the size <laughs> shirt that I was donning, um, yeah, it's medium, I believe, is what James <laughs> called it there. So uh, the photograph, though, wasn't too, too bad. So I, I actually came away pleasantly surprised by it. A little better than the shirt off in studio for the hiring of Micah Shrewsbury. <laughs> well speaking of college athletics the big 10 is alive the pac-12 is dying your thoughts kb that's where i wanted to start things because i wanted to save plenty of time for your thoughts on jonathan taylor the colts and the yacht bus yeah i i don't love it at all really i'm i'm probably a bit of an old soul to begin with i i love tradition i think tradition in sports is something that um really tracks me to it and i get that you know everybody can be like hey kevin wake up 2023 college athletics are not what they were you know hell even 15 20 years ago um but i I just i don't know what you know michigan state at washington does for me i don't know what (laughs) indiana against washington does for me not to say that like there's these rich rivalries throughout the big ten but there's a little bit more of a relevance of a, oh, yeah, I went to a road game one time at Iowa. Or, yeah, have you ever been to a game at Camp Randall? I mean, that's awesome. I, I don't know if people are going to be, like, doing the same sort of thing for trips to Oregon and Washington. I don't know. Maybe just make a longer trip out of it. But especially when you get outside of the football landscape to it all, you know, certainly basketball, it's going to be much, much more difficult to experience those venues and, and, and I think build something. And who knows, maybe in 25 years. You know, Max Bowen will grow up, and all he'll know about the Big Ten is, oh yeah, there's a western part of it and kind of a eastern part of it, and that's how the uh, that's how the conference rolls. So maybe it is a little bit too much of an old soul. I also think we kind of have to get away from this, like the Big Ten presidents, their athletic departments, only thing they care about in this instance is, I would assume, money. Like that is the reason why you are doing these things. I can't tell you one time that I've ever debated with my college sport friends over my college team is in the conference that means their TV right deal is better than your TV right deal. At the end of the day, it comes down to like, do you win or do you not win? And, you know, I brought up the comparison today. Like, who do you think's had a better last five to ten years, fans of Cincinnati football or Indiana football? Obviously, the Cincinnati fans, even though the piece of the pie that they're getting now 
now. I mean, not as to move into the Big 12, but the piece of the pie that Indiana's getting certainly endorsed that of Cincinnati. So that's where, to me, at the end of the day, it's like Oregon, Washington. You guys have made the college football playoff in the Pac-12. Do you think moving to the Big Ten all of a sudden is going to increase the chances that you do that again? I would say no. And that's where I think from a fan standpoint, I, I don't know how you view this and think this is some brilliant move outside of maybe your athletic department has more money to work with. Well, it's a move of survival for Oregon and Washington, as you know, because the other alternative would be, assuming Arizona bolts to the Big 12, is Mountain West, where you're not getting any media rights deals like what you'd get at the Big 10 level, and maybe you cease to exist like the Pac-12 conference itself. I'm a, I have old soul mentality sometimes as well, but I guess my perspective on it and where I'm hopeful that people like you, because there are a lot of people that feel the same way, will accept it is if the alternative was the Big Ten is like the Pac-12 right now on life support, if they weren't as active, they weren't as focused on expanding and being the hunt, the hunter versus the hunted, that IU fans, Purdue fans, this could be the type of reality that is Oregon and Washington right now, where you're having to run second fiddle and scramble for rights deals. The Conference of Champions is dead. The Big Ten is the one that ends up being the apex predator here. Yeah, I, I like. I can't imagine being a fan of you know whatever Oregon State, Cal. I'm trying to think of who's kind of left in the past. Stanford, yeah. I mean, Stanford. You know, by comparison's sake, you know, Purdue is probably a, a decent comparison to some of those Pac-12 schools. Not all of them, but but to some of them, Indiana. I think you know, still has the national basketball reputation that you know probably is able to carry a little bit more weight, albeit Purdue certainly has been much better than Indiana on the court here over the last X amount of years. Uh, but, like, it, there is just, like, I mean, if you're an Oregon State fan today, and, like, I'm your jokes about Oregon State athletics, but, like, wow. I mean, you just watch your biggest rival move on. If you drew a radius around your school in terms of the Pac-12 school's last standing, you're not finding much. Um, it's just. I, again, it's the nature of college athletics in 2023. It's a race to whatever, 18, 20 schools in these mega conferences. I have no idea what, what that all is going to mean for, you know, remnants of the uh, of the Pac-12. Does the ACC start to cripple at all? Um, you know, what does it mean for the college football playoff? At some point, does football just break away from it all? I mean, that seems to be, like, decently logical. Don't tell me, like, it makes a whole lot of sense for Penn State's volleyball team to travel to play Oregon on a Tuesday night. I mean, I, I was reading something this week where the airport in State College, where Penn State is located, they don't have a runway big enough to have an airplane fly to L.A. with the amount of fuel it would take to fly to L.A. So when the Penn State football team, for example, has to play USC or UCLA, they will have to bus to Harrisburg or Pittsburgh or wherever is a bigger airport to make this happen. It's just like... Some of this stuff just logically doesn't make sense. But again, I know that money reigns supreme, TV contracts reign supreme, much more than the best realistic shot at winning and recruiting at a decently high level. You know one person we can ask about this whenever he speaks? Jonathan Taylor, because he went to a Big Ten school up there in Wisconsin. <laughs> look, at sure. that. Look, look at that smooth transition. You see that? You see that? You see that? I thought about that when we were listening to I was like, wait a second. He did go to a Big Ten school. You didn't want to talk about USC over and Iowa under when they are in the Coliseum. I'm telling you, I, you I will go. gladly go to Rutgers when <laughs> USC comes down. I mean, it's just weird for me, KB, to look at some of these potential matchups, especially on the football. I feel like basketball, 
it's a little bit easier for me to kind of because it's like you know you're in a controlled environment for the most part you know it's a hardwood environment but for some of these cities the picturing usc fans in the stands at Rutgers blows my mind scarlet knights trojan is going to be electric like that blows my mind yeah and obviously you know you're an Illinois guy so you so you get it i mean there is like an element to man remember when eric gordon you know played at illinois and and, you know how do iu fans look at the cole center how do purdue fans look at the bar yeah you know, Michigan State always is that great. And you aren't even going to get that now on an annual basis. You know, I, I know with the expansion of the conference, you know, some years you still didn't get, you know, those always getting the home home and home right. with the Big Ten. But there just is a little bit more of a, like, you know, I mean, in this indie area, there's obviously a decent amount of Illinois grads. Or, you know, I've got a buddy of mine that married a Wisconsin girl. Like, you you, you you have that, and if you can center, if you continue, I was going to say splinter. If you continue to, you know, make a conference that's very splintered, and now is across the U.S., I just don't see that same sort of. And maybe it is nostalgia, maybe it is tradition, and I should probably stop living in a fairy tale. But I'm just a little bit bummed by it. I guess would be my kind of overarching takeaway. Yeah, I think what you're expressing is very valid, honestly, and it'll be interesting to see how it all sort of looks when we see it live in front of us because I'm just, again, wow. I didn't expect the Big Ten to become the big whatever it is now where you have roughly 20 schools, you know, 18, and and I'm sure more are probably thinking like, oh, can we hitch our wagon to this? So we'll see. And then I know I joked about JT going to a Big Ten school. I actually saw him play in college when he was at Illinois. Um, Talk about some moments and didn't know we'd be crossing paths, you know, years later now. So we look at what's going on in Colts land. Of course, the Big Ten realignment is not the first thing on JT's mind. But we're a week, you know, into this thing, KB. Where do we, where do we stand? Like, do you think this guy will miraculously walk out there someday and be in uniform? Yeah, I feel like in the next ten days, James, we have to get some sort of answer. And I guess the first answer would be: Does he come off the pup list? And when does he practice? Because you know, when you start thinking about this in terms of the regular season, I mean, first game's what, September 10th, 11th, 12th, like mm-hmm. something around that date. We're obviously approaching a month out. This dude has not participated in an NFL game or practice since before Christmas. So, I mean, you're going on, you know, the better part of nine months now since we've last seen him. And, you know, you following the team, I would see, I, I would assume felt this like I did last season. The Jonathan Taylor weekly ankle watch was a pretty weird one to be involved with. It was very start and stop. It was very like, I think he's going to play. Like, it's trending that direction. And then, boom, he's not going to play out of the blue. And then you had the Heinz trade and all of that. So, for a guy that's dealing with the first real physical ailment of his entire football career, college or high school, like, just talking about Taylor's physical health, I think is something that – I'm curious about, you know, putting the contract debate aside, like when is he going to practice again? And is he going to be ready week one to, you know, be the workhorse that he has always been throughout his career? So I guess that's a question that I have with it. You know, obviously as things start to continue to just kind of time, does time heal all? And now that you get a little bit deeper into camp, you know, do the sides start to put their differences aside? And I guess it hasn't been very public in the last few days. I guess it's, a better sign if you're grasping at straws here. Um, but certainly, you know, when Jim Mercer talks, and we had Greg Rakeshaw on earlier today, you know, usually 
or say pops into the uh, TV booth during one of the preseason games, I would assume if he continues to do that, it would be that Bears preseason game two weeks from tomorrow. Maybe that's the next time we hear an update on this situation. Uh, but right now it does seem like we're in a bit of a holding pattern, but I feel like after about seven to ten days from now, that holding pattern has to start to get some answers. Absolutely, and I think you made a great point about his overall health because we don't know what it is. You know, he was asked point blank, Shane Steichen that is, what is JT's injury? And he said he's dealing with something right now. I'm not going to get into it. What does that mean? You know, we had Wendy on earlier, so (laughs) what does that mean, KB? So I just don't know where we go from here until we find out more about his overall health. And then to your point, I think – what I'm curious to see, KB, is how do you think he'll handle it when he has to finally answer questions? Because, and I, I say this because JT, until the end of veteran minicamp, where he kind of bucked that trend and said, you know, I would like to get paid, more or less, he's always been like the guy who gives the Boy Scout answers. And he, he started like that in, in April. How do you think he'll handle having to give real answers even if he refuse I don't know if he gives them or not but when you know there's real emotions involved now like this thing has gotten contentious it's not you know speculation at this point that we know like he's upset so do you think he'll be able to navigate that space when he's no longer the beloved player that he's always been throughout his career yeah it's a great point I think it's going to be painfully awkward whenever that time comes and he does take questions on this yeah, you know, I mentioned this last spring when Kenny Moore did his you know, little song and dance of the sit-in back in the spring. If I had to rank Colts players, that would be the worst at trying to hold out in a public manner. I'd probably put Kenny Moore and Jonathan Taylor one and two on the list. Like, it's just not their personalities to be acting in the way that, like, those guys have to kind of act because you've got to be super um, – I don't know, cocky popping in my head, but I know that's not really the right word. Like, you have to be like a self-promoter, almost. And for neither of those guys really want to be that. I would say especially Taylor. I mean, Taylor never wants to talk about himself in, in, in any sort of you know positive light. And when you are going to hold out, that's kind of what you have to do, is you've got to build up your side of the argument there. And sure, I think you can look at things and, and certainly realize that Taylor has a bit of an argument. I get the position that he plays, but I also think that um, based off the past precedent of this regime, the one that drafted him, I get why it is it is confusing. You know, something I brought up earlier today, you know, Johnson Taylor two years ago set the franchise record, 70-year franchise record for the best season a running back has had for the, for the Colts. Mm-hmm. This is a franchise that has had four Hall of Fame running backs. This is not some franchise that doesn't run the football. And in today's day and age, you could certainly make the case that, you know, running backs having career seasons were much more like, or I should say franchise setting seasons, were much more likely in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s than they are in, you know, 2021 when Taylor did that because running backs just don't tote the rock like they do, or they don't do it now like they did, you know, back with Edge or Dickerson or Falk or way back with Lenny Moore. And so you're telling me that a dude that just set the franchise record two years ago is 24 years old, find the Ballard and Ursay quotes about him before all this chaos happened a month ago. I mean, they could not gush about him more, has never torn an Achilles, 
never torn an ACL. Mm-hmm. He's missed six games in the last 10 years of football, granted. Six of those were last season. But still, it's not like he's had this major injury history or even recent serious injury history. And now, all of a sudden, he maybe has played the last game with this franchise. Like, when you start to paint the, the, the full picture of the story, again, it's just kind of wild to me that this is where we're at. I understand both sides of it. I get where the Colts are coming from here. But it is just crazy to me that it's such a standoff, obviously the public nature to it all, and the fact that you guys ask these questions and I have trouble finding like great answers to what the solution is going to be. The fan zone, Kevin Bowen with us. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. Kev, how much, if at all in your mind, does the way things ended from a health standpoint with Marlon Mack a couple of years ago impact perhaps the Colts' hesitancy to spend not even big money, but spend larger money than they should or what John Taylor is asking for in this situation? Because if you look at it from ownership's perspective, I know that was a weird year where like, okay, maybe Jonathan Taylor is the next great back waiting in the wings, but this might be a contract year for Marlon Mack, and then he deals with injury history. Does that have any legs with this situation, given that most of the league is worried about the position being injured anyway, and Jonathan Taylor had his injuries last year? Yeah, I, I, I think it has to, Jimmy. I mean, I know that's not something that maybe Ballard pointed out specifically a week and a half ago when he met with us, and he pointed out more of the new coaching staff, which, again, I think the Shane Steichen influence is probably something that you should be paid attention to here because you, know, you go back in January and Ballard's quotes about Taylor were the same old, same old. You always pay great players or wherever, whatever position that they play. Uh, Ursay's quotes in March, very, very similar. So what has changed in that time frame? Well, obviously Steichen and his presence there. And then what else? Maybe the Taylor ankle injury. And I, I've heard very conflicting things on the Taylor ankle. I mean, certainly it's not an injury that you'd expect to take this this long. It's a guy that's dealing with the first injury really of his football career. And I, I mean, I, I think I speak for anyone. You just don't know truly – how you're going to react to this. Some guys are going to react a whole lot different if it's the fourth or fifth time they've dealt with an injury and they, and they know the rehab and they know the process and all of that. They know how to fully trust their, their body once they get back. I mean, clearly Taylor had issues with that last season in the start and stop nature to the 2022 mm-hmm. season. And are we kind of there again with this? So I do think that is obviously at play and that's, that's the hardest one. I mean, if health is truly a big, big concern, then boom, that is going to factor into it. Now, you know, maybe the Colts say, all right, we paid Shaquille Leonard two years ago, and he had missed the first 10 practices of camp, and we still paid him, and now two years later he's dealing with the same injury or still hasn't fully recovered maybe would be the best way to say it from that injury situation. Granted, pretty unique situation with Leonard, but is that causing hesitancy? Is this is this the Colts, like, altering their game plan a bit, their blueprint a bit, from the Ballard era, who has been so steadfast in saying, again, I'll pay guys regardless of the position. I'm not afraid to draft running backs high, guards, linebackers, all of that. Are we about to see a little bit of a shift here, albeit seven years into uh, into the regime? KB, if you would have asked, I guess, both of us, going into camp, what would be the number one storyline? We thought it would be Anthony Richardson after the draft, obviously. He's still there. You know, for Colts fans who may be wondering, he has been practicing. And I know, KB, you track this um, daily. And 
for those who don't know, behind the scenes, KB brings out the calculator on his phone and he divvies up oh. all the numbers and, and keeps it all sharp. <laughs> and so I usually double check with him or Jake Arthur because they both um, do it so accurately where I might have missed the play, but KB's on it. But all that to say, what has been your assessment of Anthony Richardson, who, according to your numbers, is about 20 plays over Gardner Minshew with first-team reps? Yeah, I would say, and I kind of go back to a phrase that I know you said in the spring, and I thought that was, it was a pretty accurate way to say it. You know, pretty much every day he's got the most impressive throw, but yep. he doesn't have the most consistent day. And, and I think that has held true, certainly, through camp. You know, I, I think a couple of things you have to throw out. First off, this, how a training camp is set up, favors a Minshew more than a Richardson because the guys aren't live. You can't tackle him. And obviously, I mean, Gardner can, can, can escape and can make a play, but Richardson's, you know, in, in a different stratosphere with that. So mm-hmm. I very much looking forward to see him each of the next couple of weeks in a game setting because I do think that allows him to be a little bit more of a this is who I am, whereas Minshew, for the most part, is pretty similar to what he looks like in practice is what um, we are used to in his NFL career game-wise. You know, the thing I think with Richardson that he's got to try and hone in on is – NFL Open is different than college open. And I feel like at times when he finds NFL Open, it is a smaller window and he might he isn't really finding it as quickly as Minshew finds it. So when that window he sees it, then all of a sudden the velocity on the ball almost rises with fastball speed. And I think at two plays, I think they both were in that two minute drill to end practice yesterday or maybe it was Tuesday, I don't know, all the days start to start to run together, <laughs> when he had one ball off the fingertips of Kylan Granson, kind of an out, it would have been a hell of a catch by Granson. But, I mean, that ball was humming, and, and Granson had to extend for it. And then another ball that probably Alec Pierce should have caught, but, again, it was a big fastball from Richardson, and it was after he had kind of struggled on the previous three or four throws. And I just think him dialing in his speeds – and, you know, when to really throw the fastball, when to throw more of the arcing ball, this and that, those are all things that I think he's just got to fine-tune. Honestly, James, I think he's at his best when he's asked to throw it 15, 20 yards down the field on those sideline throws. Like, I think he's got great touch on those balls. I think he puts them right on the money. But when, you know, especially over the middle, that that fastball gets going and and it it gets high and he starts to airmail a little bit, that seems to be his miss. But, you're just going to have to weigh. I mean, obviously, the big picture thing you weigh is just when do you commit to the future, which is a much different question than you know, trying to win now, obviously. But I think the other question becomes at some point with Richardson, how many big plays can he make? Because he's not going to be all hit singles and doubles all day long. That's just not his game. But you can live with that if he hits enough triples and, and, and homers. So that balance it will obviously be a huge part of his career once he is that entrenched starter. KB, we're going to ask you this every week as we've continued to on the slog towards week one, but as you look at the upcoming preseason opener next week against the Bills and then the outlook for Bears-Colts joint practices, I know we're monitoring the reps and who's getting more snaps as it stands. The Colts aren't going to announce anything until week one, but for you, where are your benchmarks here for, okay, now this really means something, the reps being divvied up of who's getting more first-team reps than the other between Richardson and Minshew? Yeah, Jimmy, I think when we talked last Friday, I mentioned these two practices they just wrapped up with, Tuesday and Thursday, as kind of the first big inflection point for me of, all right, you're a week into camp. 
you're 10 days and now less than that out from the first preseason game, what's going to change with how you handle QB reps? And I know that Shane Steichen said after yesterday's practice, the reason that Anthony got all 22 starting reps was to make up for the day he missed. Okay, I, I, I will take him at his word, but like, that's now, you know, two straight days that he's had all the starting reps. There were some days where, and I think it was maybe the last night practice, where Anthony was the first starter in practice, and then Minshew took the rest of the reps that day. So there's been days where they have actually split them up within the practice. So now, from each day here moving forward, I think you get a little bit more of the Colts are showing their cards just with where they're leaning. So tomorrow night, Sunday afternoon, okay, are they continuing to go down the Richardson path? Are they going to go back to the 50-50 split like we saw through the first handful of days? But I just think the closer you get to the preseason games, that's when you're going to get a little bit more of an indicator on how much those rep numbers that, I, that I've been charting matter. And I do think this, and I don't just say this out of entertainment value, I think they will play Richardson a decent amount in the preseason games, and I think they should. Um, I think him playing around a quarter and a half to two quarters every single game makes a lot of sense to me. And again, I thought Chris Ballard, you know, a week and a half ago when he met with us was, you know, pretty open-minded about like, we've got to see him in those games to truly, truly evaluate him. That was back to what I was saying earlier. In Graham Park, it's still red jersey. Like yesterday, he had a scramble on a third and tender in the two-minute drill. And I'm like, I think he got like six yards in the scramble is what I thought with my eyes. And next thing you know, one of the coaches is like tingling first down, and I'm like, "Wait, what? <laughs> like, are we are, are we thinking he's going to run through that tackle? And maybe he will. Maybe at 250 pounds, he is going to run through those tackles. But it's just like we just need to see that in a game setting to feel the full Anthony Richardson effect." So KB, I got a really hard hitting question for you. When you talk to, <laughs> that's to let you know it's not hard hitting. But <laughs> with Anthony Richardson, you asked about his weight gain you know, and why he felt the need to add weight. And his quote was like, you know what, I'm still growing. My body just, you know, adds more muscle. He didn't ask for it. So have you ever had that experience? Because I haven't, KB, where my body just gives me more unwanted muscle and I could just complain about becoming buffer like Anthony Richardson. Has it happened to you? I would say the only thing unwanted is just a little bit more of an increase around the uh, around the waist area. Uh, <laughs> tends to happen quite a lot. Tends to happen a lot during the summer months. So, yeah, I mean, you obviously took the photo that probably offered a lot of evidence to that. So, uh, I, I, I cannot say I have. To me, James, I saw that moment, and there were two moments after that practice where I'm like, Anthony Richardson is a super down-to-earth 20, recently turned 21-year-old. First was his comment, that very comment, like, Oh, yeah, 20 and 21-year-olds can still grow. Yeah, I thought about that, too, how young he is. (laughs) It was was a remarkable – like, I remember Paul George kind of having a little bit of a mini growth spurt at that point of his NBA career as well. And it's like, oh, yeah, guy, you know, especially boys and, and I guess, men, they they, they can't have that uh, right around their their 20s. And the other moment was, I don't know if you caught it, was when Richardson's family called Gardner over, and they wanted a picture with Gardner. And it was hilarious, like, just watching Anthony's family – like treat Gardner like it was the two travel baseball kids that have been playing together for three years <laughs> and they wanted like one final picture together on the practice. So, and even Gardner did like a double take like, oh, sure, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll take a picture. <laughs> it, it was just kind of a funny moment of like, here are these two dudes like competing for an NFL starting job and yet the parents are acting like this is a, yeah, here we are at Grand Park and the, 
you know, Indiana Bulls are completing their third season together <laughs> on the uh, on the travel circuit. And I thought, I don't know if you guys caught it, it happened during the show. The Colts had Gardner mic'd up and Richardson mic'd up at practice the other day. That was a really good video of just explaining seeing their relationship. And uh, Gardner's a really, really unique individual. And at the end, Anthony, you'll, you, you'll see a lot of 20, 21-year-old out of him in that video. So definitely check that out. The Colts tweeted that out. Just in now, KB, Chris Lehmans, the new Colts wide receiver, just got suspended for three games from the NFL for his involvement in uh, – The Alvin Kamara thing? Yeah, yes. Kamara also got three games. Exactly. Yep. So um, it never ends with this team because there's always something going on. Um, obviously a serious incident, so we'll handle it from there. But, KB, hopefully you can enjoy your weekend without any more uh, news or tweets or – you know, emojis being spread out on the internet about <laughs> what's going on with the Colts. So I'll catch up with you pretty soon, my guy. I think that dude's been a Colt for about three days. So three days he's been a Colt and now suspended for three games. Maybe he uh, felt like that that's end. team building. Like you need to be a, a part of the circus to be able to really fit in. I don't know. I mean, sure. maybe maybe that's yeah. that's the way he took it. You know, Ballard was thinking, all right, the soap opera is losing a little steam. Let's just add this guy to uh, get to the next episode of it. Uh, James, enjoy the off day. Jimmy, have a great weekend, man. Thanks, KB. Go Reds. Yes, so thank you. You just couldn't let it go. No, huh? I couldn't because I wasn't going to do it, but then I got called out for it by my producer. By the way, I'm betting the Reds today, so um, I'm steering fully into the uh, heel turn that I've made, apparently, for Eddie Garrison. So. Gosh. Can't bet them now. Uh, we'll dive into the ramifications of, of mainly not the the big story there is Alva Kamara. We'll look at that from a number of different layers. He'll be suspended three games. We will look at how that impacts not just the Saints, but the NFL at large. And then we'll go to the Chris Lehman side of things as well again. As, as uh, KB had mentioned, it hasn't been a very long stint for him, but... Three games on the docket from the NFL. We'll get James's perspective on that. Plus, bets still to come. A couple segments away from that. You already know one. I'm sure Eddie will have some as well on the Midday Show. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Official statement from the Indianapolis Colts. Chris Lamonds of the Indianapolis Colts suspended for the team's first three regular season games of the 2023 season for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy, the NFL announced Today, So the Colts acknowledge that that was stemming from the same instance of having a role in a fight outside of Las Vegas nightclub in 2022 that Alvin Kamara was a part of. He got three games, as does Chris LeMond's. You would assume by all accounts that the Colts knew that something like this was was coming before they made the signing what, eight days ago? July 27th when Penn is put to paper there. So, again, we won't fully jump that far but with the statement that the Colts put out there acknowledging it the suspension again as they mentioned there stems from the involvement in that February 2022 incident Lamont's eligible to participate in all preseason practices and games then will be allowed to return to the Colts active roster Monday September 25th following the team's week three game versus the Baltimore Ravens now that we have that clarity James 
your takeaways from it. Again, I know that the we'll we'll, we'll have fun from the joking standpoint of it's another. <laughs> there's never a dull day at Colts camp, even if James is not out there at Colts camp because there's no Colts camp activities today. Yeah, it's be but off day, still right? in the news. No off days for you. No, I think. The only thing that is a head scratcher for me is that we all knew this was coming yeah. for Kamara and for Lamonts, but then the Colts went out and signed Lamonts anyways when he isn't a high level talented player. And I'm not saying that you should be justified in doing that, but I'm just saying that's how the NFL usually works. When guys get these chances to play and they know the suspension is coming, it's because they're a really good player. Like Kamara is a really good player. So usually talent will give you second and third and fourth chances to play in the league and make that kind of money and, you know, do what you love because you're really good at it. Well, Chris Lamont, he's like a bottom of the roster type of guy. Um, a lot of time spent on the practice squad in his career. He yeah. was on the active roster uh, for a couple different instances for the Chiefs during his time there. He spent three seasons there, was in the organization for the Super Bowl win, but was not on the active roster for that game. But yeah, you're right. Primarily practice squad, extra depth piece has been where he's been throughout his career. Pretty much. And so... But I will say, without saying that quarterback like a, room is, you know, I mean, maybe that's the thought is, know. okay. He seemed like a camp body to me. Exactly. So maybe they just move on from him, but we'll see. Because at this point, I just don't see what's the real point. Unless they just really feel like they need to have him there for depth with the cornerbacks because we know that room is thin, so... That's all I can kind of glean from it. Yeah, I mean, they have, when you look at it from a number of different areas, they have bodies surrounding either side of the field, depending on where you're looking for, whether it's slot corners or just corners on the left or the right side. They have spots occupied on the depth chart as things stands. And of course, we'll, we're well ahead of the time when cut down days arrive and when we're really looking at how things are going to be trimmed down. But yeah, I'm with you. It's It's interesting and what the larger piece here outlook is for the Colts knowing that if he is just a camp body he still can achieve that role as a camp body because he can still be a part of preseason games and preseason practices and training camp but what happens after camp is over was he actually to be on the roster remains to be seen but the Colts have also sort of built this brand so to speak especially under Chris Ballard the last several years it's oh we want good guys in the community we want good guys behavioral wise and so this does not fit that brand at all and I'm not saying he's a bad person I mean anybody can have a bad moment or whatever it doesn't define your entire character for your entire life however again when you knew this was coming it's just a little bit baffling to me and maybe that's something we can you know the next time if Chris Lamont is still around the next time the Chris Ballard is available that's a question that will have to be asked is just why do this when you know that the hammer's going to come down um, pretty soon, as it did. I mean, Chris Lamont has been a cult for eight days. So it just seems um, like something that they probably discussed, I would assume. They had to discuss it. It wasn't like something they were going to get blindsided by. But from the outside looking at it, I don't understand what's the benefit of it when you can pretty much go out and get any cornerback who's on that same sort of tier and be a camp body without any other um, headlines or legal issues. I suppose the upside for Lamonts is that there's enough chaos going on at Colts camp that this won't be a story that likely lingers for too long. Like you mentioned, it might be a, a question that's thrown out there during a media scrum or during an availability, but 
this is this really speaks to how crazy things are at Colts camp that this is just a well that's weird. Hey, what's Jonathan Taylor doing? Anybody seen the yacht bus lately? <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's I'm basically where we're at. I'm checking right now, like our uh statement you know the athletic whenever news breaks we have like a slack channel we look at it and we update it and we send in a blurb here depending on what team is involved and they have not asked me for a chris lamont's paragraph to go into this breaking news story because the breaking news story is about alvin kamara and they'll just mention him as like a peripheral figure so i mean it doesn't affect my day i guess personally but again it is something that if you're the Colts, it's like when can you just talk about football and the actual things that have happened in camp as opposed to, you know, NFI, CBA, you know, the NFLPA suspension, stuff that has nothing to do with a team trying to enter a new era. And we've talked about this with KB and others in the media room. Shane Steichen has had to deal with a lot as a first-year head coach, and the season hadn't even started yet. So I'm not saying that, like, I feel a ton of sympathy for him because he did, you know, he signed up for this and whatever comes with it. However, I'm sure he did not envision his first, you know, few months on the job going like this. No, I mean, how could you? The other side to all of this, though, and by all of it, I mean the suspension that just came handed down with Alvin Kamara getting three games as well in New Orleans. If I'm trying to look at it from a lighter note, it's Jamal Williams' season, baby. Jamal Williams is now the starting running Kendra back Miller. in New Orleans. Can't forget about Kendra Miller. Oh, you're right. I can't forget about Kendra Miller. I just, uh, like everybody, I love Jamal Williams' press conferences, and he, I'm a big fan. So uh, I like the idea of getting to see more and more of him, even though it is a team that you know, there's a handful of nice pieces, like can't forget about Chris Olave, and is this finally the year that Michael Thomas Slant boy makes it through a whole season and is relevant again? Oh, and Derek Carr's there. That old division is is just Jimmy Graham's back too. Can't forget about him. I can't. You're right. So I mean, it's. I will say, if you're in a fantasy league, that's the only angle you can look at this that we haven't covered already. If you're in a fantasy league, that you know maybe you're staying away from Camara as high as you would have, perhaps. James, do you partake in fantasy football? I do not. Did you before you joined the life of the NFL? No, nah, I was never really a big right. fantasy guy, and I think now because I'm in it, I probably wouldn't do it. Which is weird because. Just to be completely transparent, you do hear things before the general public does. Oh, man. But at the same time, I just could never bring myself to do that. I figured I would just have... The idea of James making a trade to Eddie <laughs> and be like, hey, Eddie, listen, I, I I hate to let this player go, but I, I got to let this running back go. But James is your number one running back. I, I just, I got to do it. And then a week later, he suspended six games. <laughs> I mean, you and not even talking about like behavioral stuff. It's like injury no, I know, stuff. I you usually kind of know if a guy's going to go or not, um, and you can kind of gauge it from there. But even then, I feel like it's just nasty if I did that. James, why are you so aggressive to trade this guy? Oh, no reason. Right. Trade completed an hour later. Hey, tore his ACL. Right. So you, I, I don't want to be that guy who, you know, is trying to hold players accountable for whatever yeah, sure. violations they might have had, and then I turn around and do whatever i want but i mean i'm sure there's i'm sure there's reporters that do it it's just that i won't do it because i don't want to ever be you know cut out as a hypocrite when it comes to that (laughs) sort of thing it's it's weird man but it is funny that again i choose to hold myself to this standard or whatever but more or less what's the difference between 
you know, me and the videographer or whatever who works for the Colts and they can't bet on anything. So yeah. um, we don't have to go on that road again, but it's obviously something that continues to pop up. And I don't know if you discussed it on the show this week, but the Iowa State quarterback and yeah. the Denver, you know, linemen, these are like things where I'm like, wow, this is, you know, when does it end? When does the example get made where we don't have to talk too much more about that? Yeah, I mean, and there's another headline on ESPN.com. NFL seeks federal help with illicit sports betting market. And it talks about the the hurdles that they're dealing with. Maybe not as much with just the primary sports books betting. But I didn't know they cared so much. Stuff. It's the equivalent wow. of man at raves ask for volume to be turned down. <laughs> like, what, what are we doing? Like we, you open Pandora's box. What would you expect to happen? There like, are going to be hurdles to overcome. I mean, I feel like it's also just that childlike nature where you're told you can't do something, and it's like, ah, I kind of want to do you're it not now. Not the boss of me, exactly. So, and all oh, they'll never find <laughs> out. So, I mean, could you imagine how many handshake bets there are throughout yeah. the NFL, throughout professional sports? So, again, it's it seems like you said Pandora, Pandora's box has been opened. They're gonna try to stuff everything back inside of it. But at the end of the day, I think that they also know that if you have to sacrifice a few images or suspend a few guys or whatever as long as they're not a superstar quarterback no one bats an eye in the nfl the national football as jim ursay said he did not say league in that quote that i put out there he said national football rolls on there is not as much concern with your DraftKings or your fan duel as much there is with like offshore gambling sites of that nature that maybe they need help with having safeguards, stuff like that. We don't have the time on today's show to talk about that. And there's more exciting stories to get to, but yeah, the NFL is looking for help with this. And we've seen the stories, the NCAA too. Congress is involved a little bit. We'll see where things proceed. And that is another fun segue of weird betting story to remind you, we have some bets for you coming up next on the fan midday show. Raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. We talked about why you should feel good about the situation at hand with college football if you're a Big Ten fan. Here's why, because this could be you. This is on Twitter from Ben Muth, a former Pac-12 tackle. This is a tweet about what happens with Stanford football next. Preferences for Stanford football with the impending demise of the Pac-12. One, Mountain West. Two, Mm. independent. Three, Mm. weird conference with inevitable ACC leftovers. Mm. Four, hit by a bus. Five, drop football altogether. Six, watch all loved ones get hit by a bus. Then I get hit by a different bus just when I'm getting over the trauma. Oh, Lord. Seven, Ivy League. Oh, man. (laughs) Those are the type of... Dark places well, you can you know be what? in if you're a fan of a Big Ten program I'm right with now. Them, I'm with today. them on the Ivy League because they don't give athletic scholarships, so <laughs> there's no way I pay out of pocket for college if I'm an athlete. There's just no way I would do that. Shout out to Rodney Thomas. I'll get his thoughts on this yep. because he was an Ivy League guy at Yale. Let's hand out some bets. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- 
Athlete, this is my way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day we're going to take, as we promised, Cincinnati Reds to win on the money line over the Washington Nationals. Also going to take, that's right, the Houston Astros to bounce back tonight over the New York Yankees. Last but not least, give me the Tampa Bay Rays to win the money line over the Detroit Tigers. 2-2-1 two, two, and one yesterday. That Angels bet did not, it was tied after the first five. So we'll push on that. 8-7-1 on the week. Eddie, any bets from you? Uh, no, I haven't had a chance to look. But one and two yesterday, though. Uh, do you, are you mad at me for the Reds bet? Or if you no. accept it, it doesn't matter. That's okay. Okay. I appreciate that. I have Eddie's blessing. I can move on. James is going to have you a couple times next week. Yes, sir. I would like to wish you a normal Colts camp, but I can't do that So we're, we're, because it's not going to happen. I'd be lying to you. But where's your outline for next week in terms of the Lamont story, the latest with JT, an appearance by the Yacht Bus, Orcas, what do you got? I would say stay tuned on the Daryl Baker Jr. front. Um, stay tuned on the Kenny Moore front. Got something uh, coming out, I believe, pretty soon on him. And obviously the regular camp updates. And then, of course, we'll remain on JT Watch to see if and when he returns from Pup. And if he does, there will be microphones in his face. I'll be one of them sticking my phone in his face because we have to ask the questions that everyone's been avoiding. How hurt are you? How not hurt are you? Do you want to be here when you play for the Colts? All that jazz. It might come next week. It might not come ever. I do we'll have see. a quick question. What do you guys do with all that audio after you're done with it? Like, mm-hmm. I know I know, all you guys record all that stuff with press conferences and stuff. Like, do you save it just forever? Yeah, I save it and date it, and pretty much it's there forever. So that's why, for example, when you know Isaiah Rogers and a few others got in trouble, you could just go back to you know on your phone, find the quote, and, and get it out there pretty quick. Last bet to throw out there: take Messi to score on Sunday in Miami against FC Dallas in the League Cup. That's not up yet, but it will be up. And then watch a live bet for the women's national team. That'll be a tough match for them against Sweden. Special thanks to Nick Bumgarner, Brian Windhorst, and Kevin Bowen. We will talk to you next week. The ride with JMV is next. Keep it right here. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.